are you the one they call Beowulf? Such a strong man you are. A man like you could own the greatest tale ever sung. Beowulf, stay with me. Give me a son, and I shall make you the greatest king that ever lived. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by fellow medievalist Catherine Hindley to talk about the 2007 film Beowulf. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Sarah. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you agreed to talk about this movie with me? <laughs> I regret it so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Catherine Hindley. I'm a professor of medieval literature, and I mostly work on the use of either spoken or written words for protection and healing in medieval England. So mostly a bit later than Beowulf, but I like the poem. Thought that the film might have something to redeem it, but it might be so bad it was funny. Didn't expect it to crush my entire faith in humanity. So thanks for that. Nor did I. Nor nor did I have that expectation. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. You, you should be. We are less good friends as a result of this experience. <laughs> And you and I have known each other for like, I don't know, 10 years, nine years? Yeah, 10 years, I think. Yeah, about 10 mm. years, yeah. And it took 2007 Beowulf to ruin it. <laughs> this movie stars Ray Winstone as Beowulf, Anthony Hopkins as Hrothgar. Man, I really just miss seeing him with like a mask over his face and eating people. That would be way better than what he does in this. Far better. Robin Wright as Wilfiao, John Malkovich as Unferth, Brendan Gleeson as Wiglaf, Crispin Glover as Grendel, Angelina Jolie as Grendel's mother, which is a choice, and Alison Lohman as Ursula, a character who I would like to note is definitely not in the original poem. Oh no. I am not sure that I have seen ever before a movie that had this many people that I actually like and think are overall talented that I have hated this much. I mean, I've never seen a movie that I've hated this much at all. Yeah. So I'm extra disappointed that there were a lot of people who I think are talented. Right. Like, what are you doing, John Malkovich and Anthony Hopkins and Robin Wright? What are, what are you doing? Neil Gaiman writing the screenplay. Yes. I, I Yes, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Neil Gaiman is responsible for the screenplay. Neil Gaiman, you have betrayed me. I didn't know that until it got to the end of the film. So I was watching the film oh. and the final credit comes up and it's Neil Gaiman and I can't remember who the other guy is, but there's two of them. And I mean, after that brutal experience of watching this <laughs> horror... I didn't think that anything could upset me more. And to realize that it was written by somebody who is often considered to be a a good writer. I have read every novel written by Neil Gaiman. I love Neil Gaiman. Not anymore, you don't. I feel personally betrayed. (laughs) I've read, I've, I've never quite loved the books as much as a lot of my friends have. And so I always... I don't know, it felt like I was missing something or, Mm. you know, that there was something that people were getting from those books that I wasn't. 
but having seen this film, I think I was right. I'm going to embrace that feeling of unease. <laughs> they, all, they all were I terrible. Mean, I mean, I love American Gods. Uh, Good Omens G. Court with Terry Pratchett is genuinely one of my favorite books. And it's just like, Neil, Neil, why? why? <laughs> Maybe Terry Pratchett wrote all the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So the first section is the enumeratio or recap of the film. And I'll start with just a brief recap to orient us. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> After King Hrothgar's Hall Herot is attacked by the monster Grendel, Beowulf and his band arrive to win glory by killing the creature. Grendel, we learn, is actually Hrothgar's son. Although Beowulf succeeds, Grendel's mother then takes revenge by murdering a bunch of other people. Beowulf goes to kill her, but then it turns out that she's really hot, so instead he sleeps with her, and in return for him giving her a son, she promises to grant him power. Upon his return to the hall, Hrothgar promptly names him his heir and then kills himself. Fast forward to many years later, where Beowulf has replaced Hrothgar as king and as husband of his wife Wulfiao for some reason, but is mostly sleeping with a young woman named Ursula. Herod is again attacked, this time by a dragon, who it turns out is Beowulf's son with Grendel's mother, because of course it is. Beowulf manages to slay the dragon, but dies in the process. The film ends with Beowulf's lieutenant, Wiglop, looking at Grendel's mother as she rises from the sea. Leaving open the question of whether he, like Hrothgar and Beowulf, will succumb to temptation and fuck her. Because that is the most important thing, is will this man, like, fuck this woman? Oh, Who yeah. knows? And will she then ruin his life as women do? Certainly. Probably. <laughs> Probably. That's a very generous <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I hated this. I, I kind of knew I was going to hate this right away because it has this Viking-inspired metal soundtrack which never bodes well, and then there's like a sword-based font. I noticed that. That is used for the title cards. And then, of course, there is the animation that makes this whole thing look like a shitty 90s video game. The animation was a really odd choice. I assume that the entire film is just to show off the animation and nobody bothered to think about a plot until 90% of the way through. They spent yeah. nine years animating Angelina Jolie's boobs and then they, in the last year, were like, wait a minute. <laughs> We need something to make people come see this. Let's put the title of a text from like high school literature class on it and see if we can befuddle the parents of these young boys into coming and seeing our terrible creation. But yet, despite that, the animation, it does not look good. I'm not even sure it looked good in 2007. It definitely doesn't look good now. So that's what I've been wondering about, actually, because I was trying to think what was around in 2007. And I can't remember in terms of films, but I know, like, I didn't have Wi-Fi in my undergraduate dormitory in 2007. So if I didn't have mm -hmm. Wi-Fi at a university, technology was a lot worse than it is now. Mm -hmm. So like, maybe this was impressive. I thought some of the scenery was, was nice, anachronistic, but nice. So I guess what I'm thinking in terms of the animation. I was in college in 2007. I did have Wi-Fi in college. Um, I guess in America, we had Wi-Fi in college <laughs> in 2007. <laughs> but I spent a lot of time in 2007 for some reason playing Halo. Mm -hmm. And the graphics in Halo in 2007 were significantly better than the animation in this movie. Oh, okay. 
so then they should be ashamed. I mean, they should yeah. be ashamed anyway, but they should be ashamed on this separate technological count. And it's also this real, like, uncanny valley thing, especially because so many of the characters, or some of the characters at least, the point is that you're supposed to, like, think that they are sexually attractive. Oh, creepy naked Beowulf. Yes, Beowulf is so horrible. naked. Horrible. Horrible. Yes. So Not to mention smooth. Angelina Jolie, who we will get to, and that situation design wise but like they're supposed to be hot but they like look so upsettingly fake that it's creepy i sort of assumed that the intended audience was people too young to actually find real human beings hot yet like people who know they're supposed to find attractive bodies sexy but don't know what that means and so they're just like like, this is like a boy band poster like (laughs) like I, I don't know, like a cheap album cover. I, I I can't figure out what it is. Yeah, I think this is for like 11 and 12 year old boys. I don't think 11 year olds should watch this movie. I, I, I would not let an 11 year old watch this. I wouldn't let anyone that I like to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there, can you, can you think of anybody who would derive pleasure from watching this film? I mean, no one. But like, there must be an I age hope. where you're so young and unsophisticated that you don't expect any plot or sensible characterization or anything. Like there must be a point where you're just, you know, images are moving and that's exciting to me. And my mom bought me popcorn and that's very exciting too. Maybe it's like 13 and 14 and it's like you get to see boobs, but like, you know, they're like weird animated boobs. So like, it's okay. I, I don't so your know. your mom I... will like allow it. Maybe that's why Angelina Jolie doesn't have nipples in this film. Maybe. Because doesn't that increase the certificate? Isn't it specifically female nipples? Oh, oh maybe. The and so her nippleless boobs are. Allow for a uh, younger uh, audience <laughs> <laughs> of less discerning customers. <laughs> That I can't, I can't decide if that's a better interpretation or not than my interpretation, which is that she doesn't have nipples because she's basically a reptile and therefore nipples would not be functional. Granted, the boobs are also not functional, but the boobs are used to like tempt men who I that's, guess don't care about nipples. I mean, it's a separate function. Beowulf has nipples. I just think that's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Does Grendel have nipples? And we see I have to so say, I didn't them. Yeah. Yeah, this was all very nasty. Yeah. So we opened Inherit. Hrothgar is getting progressively and upsettingly drunk. And his wife, Welthiao, hates him, which is fair because I also hate him and also every other character in this movie. Yes. Why is he wearing that, like, bedsheet to a feast? Is he at a toga party? Why did why did we get to see Hrothgar's naked ass? Yeah, it's great because this movie officially takes place in 507. Most of it seems to think it actually takes place based on the setting in like the, let's generously say 11th century. But then Hrothgar seems to think that he is like at like Caligula's orgy. I thought he was at like a frat party. <laughs> and I think Beowulf's men also think that they're at a frat party based on the songs that they... I don't think singing is the right word. Shout. <sighs> harass got, with? Yeah, harass with, maybe. <laughs> with which they harass the audience. <laughs> Grendel then arrives, which I'm honestly glad about because, you know, yeah, just kill just kill them all. Just just let them all die. I don't care anymore. Yeah, I mean they do all deserve to die and they should, and not enough of them do. 
But before we get there, can we just point out the state of hair art that's supposed to be so yes. fantastic? Like the first line of substantial dialogue is a Christian conversion speech from somebody who's peeing on the floor inside the hall. Like, why is that the opening introduction just no a couple idea. of centuries before Christianity should be present at all in Denmark? Yes. Somebody yep. licks somebody else's boob. There are people apparently shagging on the floor. Like, is that, is that normal behavior? Are we supposed to... I think we're supposed to think that is normal behavior, yes. Are we supposed to admire this or hate it? Like, I couldn't tell whether I'm we were being shown the sure. like degradation of a powerful kingdom or whether we were just being shown, like, woof, rap party. Yeah, because one could make an argument that this movie is commenting on toxic masculinity, but I think that argument would be giving this movie way too much credit. Yeah, I think that's what the movie wants you to think, but I, uh, I failed. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I found difficult with this film is I had no idea who was I supposed to like. Are you supposed to hate everybody in this film? I mean, I did hate everybody. I don't know if I'm supposed to hate everybody, but I did. But like, there's a lot of, it sets up a lot of sort of, it doesn't set up moral questions, but it thinks it's setting up moral questions. Right. But on each side of the moral question, I'm like, I hate everyone. Everybody's behaving badly. Every single person is awful. We're like explicitly shown people doing awful things. Right. Or well, actually, to be fair, every man is awful. Only oh, some of the women are awful. That's that's a fair point. Walthiao seems fine. Yeah. But she also doesn't really do anything because she's a woman. Yeah. <sighs> women can't do things except God, fuck no. men. And she won't even do that. What a bitch, right? <laughs> Useless. Oh, <God. laughs> Like, that is, that is clearly the point of this movie, right? Is that, like, women, they're the worst, right? Yeah, yeah. That's also the first thing that we see Welfiao do, pretty much, is spit at Hrothgar while he's trying to be like, hey, come to bed, my sexy young wife, or, like, manhandle her in front of the crowd or whatever. So you have this this sort of, like, frat party buzzkill vibe from her immediately. like, it, And it doesn't feel as if yeah. it's doing... It doesn't feel as if it's trying to point out to you that Hrothgar's behavior is unacceptable, because you've got the entire hall of people cheering, Hrothgar, Hrothgar, woo, he's the greatest, we love his stupid toga. Right, it feels like it's just portraying her as this frigid bitch. Yeah, which it continues to do for most of the film. And then she's like, oh, Beowulf, I love you at the end. Why? I, I wouldn't. I, I don't think she should. No. No. <laughs> Women, they ruin your life by sleeping with you and by not sleeping with you. The worst. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I noticed from this, when Hrothgar is calling, he's like calling Unferth over to him and he praises him as violator of virgins and best yes! and greatest of brave brawlers. And it's like, okay, alliterative, you're trying to be, like, I assume that's trying to sort of echo the alliterative poetry of the original text. But like, why is the first thing that Hrothgar says about his apparently right-hand man violator of virgins virgins. you can have the best prize because you're a violator of virgins why i just just i just i just can't i just i just can't we're only five (laughs) minutes into the film so So grendel shows up and thank god kills people he's like i don't know he's sort of misshapen and it looks like his skin is falling off it's a weird choice it's a horrible choice yeah, so he murders a bunch of people. He has ultra-sensitive ears, apparently, is his whole thing. 
As we will learn, I think the ears are supposed to be what he has instead of a dick? That seems to be the implication in the later fight scene. Yes. But I don't follow the logic. I mean, I don't follow the logic of the ear thing anyway. I mean, I'm guessing that the film thought it would justify Grendel's attack by having him be so distraught by the noise that people are making in Herod. But there's no logic to it. I mean, he's... He's sitting and listening yeah. in the later scene when Wellfair is singing and she's got her harp and she's singing really quietly. And Grendel, right. nine billion miles away across the moor, is screaming it's in like, agony. Oh, no. but, but when he's talking to his mother, he can have a perfectly normal conversation. When people go outside the hall and they shout, he doesn't seem to have a problem with that. It's specifically inside Herat, if there is any noise yes. at all, Grendel is enraged. But so it's not it's not really his hearing, it's just plot device that no. didn't make sense. They've tried to explain something and they've made it more confusing like in the original poem Grendel's just like I'm sick of you singing and yeah you know, like monsters fight people let's go there's also this whole weird thing where the close captioning at least claimed that Grendel and his mother speak to each other in old English maybe <laughs> yeah I was gonna ask you your opinion about that because my old English is not good enough to say definitively if that was actually old English or not but that's what the closed captioning thinks it is so some of the like the vocabulary is old English and my old English grammar I, I, I didn't think to put the closed captions on so I was just listening to it but my old English grammar is not good enough to to tell whether this is a sentence that any mm. person would have spoken but the vocabulary is okay. My sense was that it might have started off as Old English and then they've pulled it as close as they can to something that will be comprehensible in modern English. Grendel's okay. mother is not speaking Old English. She chucks in a couple of words here and there. But she's, yeah. she's got a lot of modern English. But my, my sense was right. she's kind of translating the Old English for us. She often, in seeing what she has said to Grendel, you can often tell what he must have said, even if you don't understand a word. Right. But my next question, though, is why? Why do they set up this dynamic where Grendel and his mother are speaking Old English and everyone else is speaking Modern English? What is the purpose behind it? Does this film think about purpose? I mean, the other thing that I that I noticed is that they have there's a section where they have a a, the performance of the song of Beowulf in the hall with that like awful pantomime or whatever. And that's in Old English. And I think that's from the actual text, I think. Right. And that and that I understood because like that that is the one thing that I think is a little interesting is that they're like incorporating the song and talking about like him becoming a legend and the song coming into existence during his lifetime. And so I'm okay with like that being like Old English and quoting from the actual poem. I'm okay with that too. But it sets up a weird dynamic where... You have the monsters talking to each other in Old English, but then also the song about Beowulf is in Old English. So you right. can no longer but divide between human and monstrous characters. It's, I mean, I guess the clumsily handled point of the film is Beowulf is a monster too. But uh... monster. <laughs> God, what's that bit where he's shouting at Grendel and he's like, "I'm a rip, tear, kill, gouge, stab out eyes." Like, okay, thank you, Beowulf, we get the point. You're also a violent man, and we should condemn that, I assume, except that they've given you such a like fancy ninja fight. Right, mm-hmm. like, I guess we should hate you, but also you're clearly the, like, hyper-masculine hero in a way that I feel like the male audience is supposed to be really into. Ugh, ugh, I just... Ugh. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, they're having the Old English, 
I guess it makes them slightly incomprehensible, like they're distanced from the other characters, but they're not completely divorced from them. So in the in the poem, Grendel and his mother are supposed to be descended from Cain. Right. So they have this human origin and they've become monstrous over time, but they're not like they're not a completely separate creation. Yeah, they're like Gollum. Are they? Kind of. Is Gollum descended from Cain? Oh, well, no, but like Gollum's like a hobbit, so you know he's like See? of the same kind as them. Yeah. Gollum's a hobbit, and then he like turns to evil, and that makes him monstrous, essentially. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay, that is quite similar. I get. It. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also like clear. Like, there's a couple of things in this movie that I'm like, wow. I wonder where you got that from, guys. <laughs> so creative. None of it was from the original text. Um, but yeah so like maybe the old english is trying to do something like that to show that there is a division between the two but also a connection which i would accept more with just grendel himself because grendel has a a kind of humanoid form he's monstrous but he's he looks like a person whereas angelina jolie is i mean she also looks like a person because she obviously has to be sexy otherwise how could you make a film she's like a person with some tentacles and this like gold on top of her and she gives birth to monsters and she's supposed to be does she get called a demon at some point yeah although i think i think grendel is referred to as a demon in the poem at some point i think so but not by the characters because they're explicitly not christian yeah which is the other thing is that there's this like whole weird like christianization plot including that at some point they're like we've already been praying to odin should we now pray to the roman god christ jesus Oh, God. That... And it's like, ugh, why? I also had no idea what it was trying to do with that plot because it was 100% unnecessary. There's a bit at the end where Beowulf is like, there are no heroes anymore, the time of heroes is over because such the Christ God killed it or whatever. It's God like, replaced the we... hero... The G- Jesus replaced all the heroes with these whiny martyrs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too masculine for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and the only one that we see that really visibly convert is Unfair. Right. Who is the, also, I noticed the only one who wears like a long skirt. So he's got a long yeah. woman skirt, whereas all the other men have these like military mini skirts. I don't know what they're wearing. Right. And in general, he also, I feel like his, his masculinity is sort of undermined. Like he's the one who tries to like, like he's presented as this like kind of like sneaky underhanded creature who's using these kind of fem this kind of feminine manipulation way of getting at people instead of the masculine way of getting at people by just stabbing them in the dick (laughs) (laughs) oh and what was up with that bit where beowulf is like oh i heard you killed your brothers because they were sleeping with your mom what What is that why do we introduce this why i know so in the original poem he does kill family members like that's something that Mm -hmm. beowulf has heard about him but why make it incest why i why i i just okay i i don't know are we supposed to see unfair as like was he jealous was he protecting his mother in which case like, why isn't Beowulf insulting him about that? What's... It's also not clear if it's consensual on his mother's part, which oh. I feel like is telling. That, that I think the movie does not give a shit whether it was consensual. Oh, yeah, no. Well, it pretends it does, though, because it's got the other bit where there's the one woman who say who refuses Honcho's advances. Right. 
And so it sort of pretends. And there's the bit where where Hrothgar is trying to drag Welfiao off to bed. And, she says, and Beowulf no, is like, right. no, stop. Let her play one more song. So like, are we supposed to think of Beowulf as this great man who's stepping in to protect her from her unpleasant husband? Except that then he strips naked yeah. in front of her and she's like, I run screaming from your she's horrible She's like, thing. I'm gonna take off. Yeah, <laughs> gotta, gotta go. Yeah. I mean, it's this weird male idea that they get a cookie for not being literally a rapist. Yeah. Yeah, I think Beowulf expects quite a lot of cookies for that. Maybe also some gold and a sleep yeah. that he can sleep with. Oh, definitely. So also, I just wanted to like talk about Beowulf's arrival, which for some reason has to be like in a massive storm while he's like yelling and he has this bizarre line where he's like, the sea is my mother and it won't take me back like this into her womb. <laughs> What's he talking about? Does he, I mean, that also given how few female characters we have in the film, the fact that Beowulf kind of denies having a human mother seemed <laughs> strange. Yeah, that would explain his predilection for fucking monsters. In the water. Like, yes. Two, two water monsters. Yes. Yeah, so he shows up and says that he's, like, here to kill Grendel. And I just want to comment on Ray Winstone's accent, which is <laughs> hilariously distracting. And I am going to do an impression of this. <clears throat> I'm here to kill your monster! <laughs> That's what he sounds like. That's what he sounds like for two hours. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. I was annoyed with the ship scene because he says, I see nothing but the wind and the rain. And I was like, how do you see the wind, Beowulf? It's not visible. <laughs> Everything about wind, this film is driving me mad. Oh, the other thing he says is, we are geats. That's not how you pronounce that word. It's yats. We yeah. are geats. Like, no, okay, you're too dumb to know the name of your own people. Gosh. I mean, are you surprised? Are you surprised by that? I'm not. I also have a note from when I was watching the film that just says in all caps, Beowulf's hair sucks. And I stand by that. Yeah, it's it's very weird. He has this, like, it's very, like, he has Nazi hair. The, like, really, like, close-cropped blonde hair. It's long, isn't it? Isn't it? I thought it was in a ponytail at the back. It's got a very sharp, very central parting. And then a sort of weird, like, semi-crown like he has a, a long part, but it's head. still all very close to his head. And like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I think he looks like a Nazi. I vaguely wondered if they couldn't really animate enough hair to have anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not being able to animate something well clearly did not stop them overall. That's true. They made the rest of the film. <laughs> <laughs> so they have the drunken party. We do need to comment on the woman with just intensely animated boobs that she like rubs on a table while she's cleaning it while making like sexy grunting noises. She was absurd. Her boobs Why? had more movement in them than Beowulf's entire body. I've never seen such active boobs. It was <laughs> very <laughs> unnerving. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, the boobs have more of a personality than, like, all of the women in the movie combined. Yeah, I, I, I mean, didn't we talk about this? And I wasn't sure who she even was. She gets right. a name later, and I couldn't even tell because I couldn't even look at her face because it wasn't moving right. as much as the boobs were, which, yeah. again, speaks to this 12-year-old boy you just see the boobs and you the hear the grunting, and that's, that's just what it is. And that's not how you clean a table. You don't need to make right. that much noise. 
You don't, your boobs no, don't need to get involved. No one it's has about- ever cleaned a table like oh, that. It's... And like, it looks like it's in like, it looks like they like spliced in a scene from just an actual porn. I think they did. I think that's but the also animated it to make it creepy. And, and how low cut is her top as well? I was trying I, to figure I, out where the neckline of that dress would be. Like it would have to be held up by the nipple itself. Like, yeah. Or maybe she doesn't have nipples like Grendel's mother. In but, which case that dress would be falling way the fuck down. She true. has to have nipples. It's essential to the structural stability yeah. of her outfit. <laughs> yeah, it's the only way for it to stay up. But no, I mean, that, that was that was an absurd outfit, an absurd scene. I hated yes. everything about it. More than I hated most of the film. Yeah. It was really just about intensity of hatred all the way through. I think that was really, which is like one of the moments where I was like, oh, no, this is, I'm, I'm really going to hate this. This, this is not going to get better, is it? It took you that long? I don't know. I think maybe a little, for a, there was a teeny part of me that was hoping that when Beowulf arrived, it would get better. Mm-hmm. And that it made it clear it was not going to. Yeah, I was also, I noticed that Wealthy Ow, when Beowulf says he's going to kill the monster, and she says, you know, other people have come and they've drunk our mead and then there's nothing left of them but blood to be cleaned up. And she like lists a whole bunch of things that, that need to right, be cleaned. Right, like blood up, to be cleaned off on the floor. The benches. And the benches. The and the walls. But so that was the is, best line of the movie, I think. I liked it, except that given that the only woman that we've really seen so far is that, oh, or do we see her afterwards? I can't remember the order. But we see in quick succession, like, wealthy well, I'll talk about cleaning the hall. And then this woman... Yeah just boob woman cleaning, cleaning the, the table, table with her boobs is that all that women do in this film they just wait for men to get slaughtered and then they shake their boobs around to clean things i'm sure some of them clean the mead off the table before the men have been slaughtered to be fair that's true i imagine that's easier quicker less likely to attract flies right the dress is actually just her dress the little of it that there is, is actually just sopping up the mead and then she can drink mm-hmm. it it's very um, functional. That is very functional. Very functional. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult for blood, but that's fine. Right. This movie also posits that the snarky slow clap was a common feature of 6th century arguments. Oh yeah, you didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally historically accurate. Starting, by, with, starting with Unferth, that when he calls Beowulf out for having lost the swimming match to Brecca... And this is also the interesting-ish bit where you start this thing where it's like, actually, all of the songs and specifically Beowulf are lying. And so it's supposed to be that like Beowulf lost this thing because he was fighting sea monsters. But then really, it makes it clear, actually, one of them was this mermaid and she, I don't know, had boobs at least. So I guess he fucked her instead. But that also really confused me in terms of the message the film wants us to take away. Because... Right? Like, it seems as if the overall message of the film is, you know, heroism isn't real and there's no such thing as heroes, blah, blah, blah. But like, we have no reason to disbelieve what we... I, I'm assuming that the setup is that what we're seeing is the truth and what we're hearing is Beowulf's version of it in the hall. Right. And in what we see, we see him kill a bunch of sea monsters. Right. Well, though we also get the line from Wiglaf where, like, Unferth says, like, how many did you kill? And Beowulf's like, nine... And then Wiggolf is like, last time it was three. Yeah. But do we, I can't remember how many we see him kill in the, I also the visuals. I, I didn't count them. But I do remember there's one where he gets like swallowed by it and then he bursts out of its eyeball and kills it. I mean, there's all of this sort of typical action hero-y slick right. monster stuff. And so 
simultaneously we're being told like, oh, look, Beowulf is lying about his adventures and we're being shown he did this extraordinary thing. Like he defeated a bunch of monsters. He right. is acting like a hero. So it's it's giving us, it doesn't actually want to undermine the idea of heroism and that you can solve everything by just punching or stabbing your monster. It wants to have its cake and right. eat it too. Yeah, I mean, it's this odd, it's trying to simultaneously do this thing where it's presenting Beowulf as a flawed character, but also it still wants everybody watch. It still wants basically all the presumed heterosexual men watching the movie to want to be Beowulf and all of the presumed heterosexual women watching the movie to want to sleep with Beowulf. Mm, they failed on that. Oh, they, they aggressively failed. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens when men make movies, everybody. <laughs> Drunk Hrothgar continues a slow clap. What is with the slow clapping? I don't know. I just, I, I, I just, I just can't. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this. Are we even an hour? We're not even an hour into the movie. We're like twenty minutes into the movie, and I, I, I just can't. Honestly, I was five minutes into the movie before I was texting my friends, being like, "I can't believe I've agreed to watch this." <laughs> yeah Hrothgar shows off this like fancy horn that he has and talks about how he won it after a battle with a dragon and shows Beowulf how to kill a dragon and then he offers Beowulf his motherfucking wife as a prize if he kills Grendel I the noticed fuck? that I what in the actual like fuck <sighs> yeah that's not how anything works. That's not how anything, anything ever works. <sighs> is that your cat in the background? Yes, that is my cat in the background. <laughs> my cat. <laughs> She's a frequent contributor to the podcast. Oh, excellent. She's got strong opinions on medieval movies. She hated this one, oh, I'm yes. assuming. Oh, yes, definitely. Oh, good, good. As she should. <laughs> As everyone should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I also noticed that Hrathgar claims to have killed... The dragon that he claims to have killed is Fafnir, who is like an actual mythological dragon from a completely right. different story that Hrathgar has nothing to do with. So, yes, like, if we're on the theme of heroes are lying about stuff, there's another one. Right. Then then continuing our, like, big theme in this movie of sexual assault. The key so theme. Ursa table boobs is <laughs> hanging... <Ursa> table boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Is hanging out in like the back or something with Hanju, who's one of Beowulf's dudes. Whose name means glove. Of course it does. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. And uh, she's like, well, maybe we shouldn't have sex because, it, you know, we'll be distracted and you don't hear Grendel when he comes. And then he responds, you'll hear me when I come, I promise. And oh. like, oh my god, just like, let all of them die already. Just like, kill all of the men in this movie, please. Oh god, it was so gross. It was so gross. Ugh. It was so gross. And it's right after that that you get the scene with Beowulf saving Walthiau from going off with Hrothgar when she's trying to say yes. no, she doesn't want to go with him. So, like, I assume that what we're supposed to take away from that is, you know, what I was saying before about Beowulf is such a good man stepping in to protect the rights of women. Yeah, because he's not a literal rapist. Wow. Yeah. I'm so impressed. That was, like, the most disappointing thing in the world. No, yeah. the whole, oh, God, I don't know what the most disappointing thing was. Everything. 
it was somewhere in this film. It's mm-hmm. also in this bit, or and then or shortly thereafter, where we find out that Grendel is definitely Hrothgar's son, and also that I guess Wealthia won't fuck Hrothgar because he fucked a demon. Except that Beowulf doesn't actually seem to pick up on this for quite a long time. Isn't there a later scene where... Right. Like, like he's like, all doesn't the demon have a father? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Beowulf, she explicitly And Hrothgar's like, don't worry about is. it. And then, like, winks dramatically. Yeah, the father's no danger. <laughs> like, is he dumb? Is he trying to call Hrothgar out? Like, what is he doing? I think he's My just My guess is that he's just not very brave. Yeah, so we all got it, but he didn't, which is shocking. (laughs) How can anyone be so... Oh, God. I just... I'm just... I I don't know. (laughs) Beowulf strips to fight Grendel because apparently you can't fight unless you're naked, I guess. Oh, yeah. Like, in the poem, he says, Grendel doesn't use a sword or shield, so I'm not going to either. So there's no reason for him to be naked. Also, right. also, thing that has bothered me for hours now since I watched this film, when he's all when he's naked all the way to his underwear, and then he just sort of rips his underwear off with one hand, like like Velcro pants. I don't think Velcro <laughs> pants existed in the early sixth century. I don't Beowulf understand. Beowulf invented tearaway stripper pants. That's just it's the only explanation. He's too dumb for that. Somebody else invented them and they were <laughs> But like, like why? why? What's the point of that in the film? To have Beowulf, like they couldn't animate him taking them off the normal way, like taking your leg, that was too unsexy to have to take. It's not heroic enough. That's true. Heroes do just <laughs> rip their pants off at every opportunity. Oh God, they do think that, don't they? But like, why? Just of all the things that they had to do, can't Beowulf just undress like a normal person? I don't know why that really bothered me, but it did. Like, did it have a bra so mask at the front? How did it, how did he undress? I just, I, I don't know. And he seems to have perfectly functional pants when he goes to Grendel's mother's lair. Like, did somebody invent boxer shorts in between these two scenes? <laughs> like, why? 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 Also, why are all of his friends literally singing songs about raping women? And why do those songs rhyme to get, again, anachronistic about things? There was no rhyme wasn't a thing in poetry of this period and region. Alliterative right, it's poetry. Like, it's a li- yeah, it's alliteration, yeah. Yeah, and instead they're like, what rhymes with wank? <laughs> Horrible. Uh, so Grendel shows up to murder them. He makes like a man skewer, which I'm honestly like, cool. <laughs> the dude who was trying to sexually assault table boobs, he straight up rips his head off. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, that was welcome. And then we start to have all of their like Grendel dick conversations where Big Love tries to stab him in the dick. And then he's like, he doesn't have a dick. Everybody, let's reflect on his lack of a penis. <laughs> He doesn't have a pintle. They used an old English word. Oh, yes. Wow. Again, perhaps to get around the senses. But yeah, yeah, no pintle. 25 shots of stabbing in the pintle-less groin. And then to have a conversation later. And there's Belaf's weird thing about too many unattended women. Abstinence yes. prior to battle is essential. Like, again, the, the key message of this film is women are gross. 
Right. And like, if you like fuck women, they like sap your energy before battle, right? Yeah. Women, the worst. Women are dreadful. Yeah, I, I don't understand what this film is doing with, I don't understand anything anymore. But yeah, like, why, why do we start with that mess? Also, also, when everybody's being killed, why is Beowulf just like hanging around naked? He's not stepping right? in to He's help. Just, like, he let chilling. every single person be slaughtered except for Wilaf, who isn't even right. there in the original text. Like it's so weird. Oh, what a bad warrior! Yeah, he's gonna be a hero at least, like save one person, right? Like he just clearly does not give a shit about any of these people. No, which is fine. I don't either, but like he's supposed to. It's not really fine. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I get it because they are awful. He doesn't seem to think so. No, but I mean, and and it's he's just sort of standing there, like he's not trying to help. He's not doing anything. Oh, no. He's not like unsuccessfully attempting to stop Grendel from murdering everybody. He's just like chilling. He's observing. Observing everybody because gets then he can observe the lack of dick. Well no he doesn't and observe then figure that. out. He doesn't right, observe Wiglaf that. observes Wiglaf that. observes it. And then Beowulf gets like flung across the room and Wiglaf is there and Beowulf is like no pintle. Like Beowulf <laughs> can't even visually process the genital area of another man because Beowulf is just too rampantly heterosexual for that. Like it's he doesn't, true. he doesn't even know. Wiglaf has to relay to him. Oh no, there isn't a pintle. Beowulf, like let me right. just confirm that for you. Let me just confirm because I have those like magic eyes that can see dicks, which I know you cannot. Yeah, no. <laughs> Beowulf can only see boobs. He does, however, I guess, figure out that his ears are kind of his dick. And then, like, yells at him until he shrinks? Yeah, I didn't understand why he shrank. Nor did I. Well, also, I didn't understand why in the rest of the fight, Beowulf seems to have turned into Spider-Man. Like, I didn't understand what came out of Grendel's eardrum. Right, there's a lot of, like, yellow and greenish goo coming out of various parts of Grendel's body, which, like, I feel like wasn't needed. It's just, if, Grendel's, if Grendel's eardrum is a dick... Oh, is no. that <laughs> I'm not going to oh, finish no. this sentence? But, but I hate everything about this film. Is that why like, oh, shrinks? No. So like Grendel shrinks, and then he like wraps up his arm in a chain, and then like catches him between the chain and the door, and he rips his arm off. And it's a whole thing that then it like very quickly becomes he ripped his arm off with his own with like his bare hands, which is what happens in the poem. But like that's actually a lie or an like or a uh, an exaggeration. Again, he also it's just a yells. exaggeration because it's right like the same as with the the monster fight before. Like yeah, it's exaggerated, but it's not like the fight with Grendel was unimpressive. Like that was kind of an amazing fight. If anything, it's more impressive because he actually displayed like intelligence in addition to brute strength. Yeah, and like he's flipping around like a gymnast all the time. He's got this. He yeah, like builds this weird contraption with the chain to anchor Grendel. And then, like, slams his arm off with a door. So if you want to demonstrate your strength, that's not bad. No. The film seems to be critical of the development of this, like, boasting narrative about Beowulf's victory. But it's also very careful to show us Beowulf having an actual impressive victory. So, right, like, what does it want? So it's like, don't believe what you hear, but actually the real story is just as badass, everybody. <laughs> Exactly. Except it has more sex because he is a heterosexual man, everyone. Please remember, he is a heterosexual man and he fucks. 
just and he was very fast. naked. And every single scene in this, in it, where they have to like carefully position everything to just hide Beowulf's nudity. Pintle? Pintle, yeah, yeah. They're hiding his pintle behind like a candlestick and a sword and a glass and a, a, I can't even remember what, but everything in that hall suddenly becomes a stand-in for Beowulf's manhood. And it was yeah. like, it was comic. I assume it was meant to be funny. I mean, I assume I didn't laugh. I rolled my eyes and wept a little bit. Like I was it a joke? I guess it was a joke. I, I, I don't know. Also, I love how he just yells. He just yells, "I am Beowulf!" I like all the time. Down, I wrote down this speech because it's so awful. awful. Please share. Okay. So this is when, when he's got Grendel's arm like wrapped in the chain and Grendel is trapped and trying to get away and he's slamming the door on the arm. And Grendel and yelling at speaks him. and suddenly everyone's like, oh my God, the monster can talk. And right. Grendel says, I'm not a demon. And he asks what Beowulf is. And Beowulf says, I am ripper, terror, slasher, gouger. I am the tooth in the darkness. I think that's what he said. I actually couldn't quite catch that part. Sounds I think right. he's the tooth, the talons in the night. Mine is strength and lust and power. I am Beowulf. And then he slams off Grendel's arm. Like, who is the monster and who is the man? Oh, so <laughs> subtle. Amazing. <laughs> who, who gives that answer? Like, if a monster said to no you, one. what are you? You'd be like, I'm a human being. You wouldn't be like... I am Gouger. I am the talons in the night. Like, no, you're explicitly not Beowulf. <laughs> Go away. It's like, you know, it was kind of cool when, like, Walter White in Breaking Bad did the, like, I am the one who knocks. This is 500 times less cool. This, I mean, this was not cool at all. This was embarrassing. No. This is very embarrassing. I was kind of glad that everybody was dead so nobody could see Beowulf's embarrassing shame. Except for Wiglaf. But Wiglaf is, like, obsessed with Beowulf. Oh, God, so, he loves him. Which I guess maybe is why he can see Pintles. <laughs> oh, maybe. Subtext. <laughs> Grendel goes off and dies and, of course, is able to give his mother the name of the person who kills him. That's why you don't yell your name, my friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, tactically, that was not a good idea at all. <laughs> They're all singing about him. Some women who I'm pretty sure don't have names start making sex jokes. I think they're like, his arm is so strong. Are his legs that strong? Oh, all three, three of them. them wink. I'm like, just, just just, kill me. Just I, just let me die. Just let me die right now. Yeah. Maybe if I die, I want to finish this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you die, you have to watch this movie endlessly in it. In how if you didn't behave well enough on earth oh god I'm, i hope i didn't do anything to deserve that i don't think i did but now i'm worried <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i for the women i was trying to figure out i was trying to calculate the percentage of female characters that beowulf sleeps with and i couldn't figure out i don't well i wasn't looking i don't remember whether one of those women was ursa the ursa table boobs or not which so, affects the percentage mm. Are they two? I mean, so I would argue that neither of them has has a name or matters, and that they're not real characters. Okay, so in that case, the only woman in the film that Beowulf doesn't sleep with is Ursa Table Boobs. Yeah, so he sleeps with three of the four women in this movie. Yeah, plus the mermaid. Oh right, 
And she doesn't even have a name. Like, wow. No, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so he sleeps with 80% of the female characters, and then we have two unnamed female characters who want to sleep with him. And then we have yes. the table boobs who sleep with somebody else. <laughs> and to be fair, to I'm sure she else. does want to sleep with him and is only, like, considering Hanshu because she knows she can't get with Beowulf. Like, let's, you know. Yeah, and the only reason that she doesn't sleep with Hanshu is that she's worried that Grendel's going to kill them. Otherwise, right. of course... Yeah. So, okay. So a while ago, I actually came up uh, for this podcast with a test, which is my version of the Bechdel test, the if Decker test. It fails. I don't even need to know what your test is. Okay. This movie actually does pass because, but only because it's a very low bar. It's that there has to be at least one named female character who doesn't die. Oh, wow. And this actually does pass. This does pass. I was not expecting your bar to be that low. Exactly. I mean, there have been movies that have not passed. Like, let me just know. Did they only have two characters? I mean, they only had one female character <laughs> and a lot of men. Yay. I love it. But I kind of want to, like, add a caveat that there has to be, like, I, I kind of want to now have a secondary test, which is that there has to be one female character who contributes to the plot who's not fucking the main character. Like, I think that's another important test. So does this one, uh, the table boobs doesn't really contribute to the no. plot? No. So I, I would argue that so it would thing. not pass that test that I have just invented. Yeah. Oh, I mean, which it shouldn't. I don't think that anything which suggests that this film might be a kind of bastion of feminist ideology is an appropriate test since it passed your previous read and you one. It definitely does not pass the Bechdel test because while at some point there will be a conversation between Wealthy Awa and Beowulf's child concubine Ursula, they are definitely talking about Beowulf as they are also in this scene where Wealthy Awa is talking to the like women making dick jokes. Yes. It also disturbs me that we Wealthy Awa it seems to be set up that she is some sort of like jealous, frigid harridan for not wanting right. to sleep with Hrothgar because Hrothgar has slept with a demon. Yeah. But then it's supposed to be like what beautiful and touching when she's making friends with Ursula at the end and they're talking about Apparently. Beowulf and how they can both, mm. I don't know, sleep with him. Just... Like, are we. But just what, what are they. Is this setting us up as, like, it's terrible for women to expect men to be remotely faithful? Yes. But so the good woman will just accept the younger lover, Yeah. train her to be a good younger spouse. Well, and also what? she wasn't know. fucking Beowulf, so she had no right to expect that he would not fuck somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is According a good outcome for her. I would also, like... To end up being the queen, but not having to sleep with Beowulf, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, like, you know, she's, like, been, like, queen for ages, but, like, has never had to fuck any of these terrible men. Like, honestly, good for her. Yeah, yeah. And she saves Ursula's life at some point. She gets Mm -hmm. a little action heroine moment, but then obviously has to be saved by a man later, because otherwise that would overturn the laws of masculinity physics. Of course. Course. Grendel's mother shows up. Uh, Beowulf has like a sexy dream that's about Wilthiau, but clearly it's not really about Wilthiau. It's actually Grendel's mother, mm-hmm. like making him have sexy dreams. And then everybody's dead and hanging from the ceiling. Again, fucking good. I don't care about any of these people. Except one woman. There's one woman who's left alive for the purposes of screaming. Like one right. shrill screaming woman, but everybody else is dead. Which also women, is a so big shrill, change from am the I right? Poem. 
so shrill. That's why Grendel is <laughs> there's also that bit earlier where there's this woman who's like shrieking and and Grendel it like hurts his poor sensitive dick ears, and so he's like, well, better murder her. I mean, well within his rights. Ugh. But no, yeah, the in the in the poem itself, Grendel's mother. It's presented as Grendel's mother coming to seek revenge for the death of her son, and she doesn't right. really want to be aggressive. Like she comes into the hall, and I think she just kills one person. Yeah, but yeah, none of this like hugely vindictive, like blood everywhere. We, I think, in the poem, we get a real sense of her grieving and her sort of reluctantly yeah. going to seek what she thinks is a fair vengeance. And I think there are lots of questions in the poem about whether that's a reasonable thing for her to do or not. But right, yeah, it's not this like, dangle them all from the rafters. Yeah. Bale starts getting snarky about it and is like, how many monsters must I slay? Grendel's mother, father, uncle, must I slay a whole family tree of monsters? And then you gotta love that Hrothgar is like, don't worry, the father has no threat. Don't worry, don't worry about the father. <laughs> Wink. I'm still bothered that he even asks about the father. Like, Welfare made that extremely clear. I mean, he's, he's not very bright. No. So he agrees he's gonna go fight Grendel's mother. Unferth gives him his sword, and also he brings the horn, like Hrothgar gives him that golden horn, hmm. which turns out to be useful because it glows in the dark when a demon is near. Wonder where they stole that one from. Also, why is he bringing it with him in the first place? Yes, like, if like it turns out to, to be battle, useful, but nobody ever like, says that. Yeah, well, and 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 just. Of all the things that you would pack in your emergency like, demon slaying toolkit, here's my like, gold really drinking need a horn. Wine glass. I mean, <laughs> a really <laughs> fancy wine glass. Very expensive. Whenever I go kill monsters, I need my nicest wine glass. Oh, yeah. All my diamonds. <laughs> no, it was my like jewel encrusted drinking implements. <laughs> he goes. Wiglaf does not go all the way in with him. Uh, pun, pun not intended. <laughs> um, yeah, so Beowulf goes into the water to go and find Grendel's mother. Surprise, she's hot. She has her, like, gold nippleless boobs and a tentacle and, like, feet made out of high heels. Oh, her feet made out of high heels. That I hate is... them. I hate them so much. I don't understand how that got past... I assume that more than one person has to look at the film before it gets released. Like, I am convinced that zero of those people were human women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, even you don't think there was one human man out there that said, I don't think that women biologically have stiletto heels attached. Like, she's 100% naked. She shouldn't have heel spikes. But it's also just like, okay, so you're fully naked lady can't possibly be sufficiently hot unless she's also like has high heels of course not you're a fully nude woman no and it looked weird i mean it they, i mean it's the whole thing is cgi anyway they could have like stretched her legs they could have given her like little tiny feet they could have given her like wedges somehow it, like if they want that sort of heel effect there are ways of designing the character so that it's awful. not so abhorrent but it was lazy, tacky, yeah, lazy, no, stupid. Like, uh, everybody involved with this film should be 
punished. Just take it. Just take that. Just take an Adam shot. Like, just it's fine. Yeah, this is the 2020 of movies. <laughs> COVID nineteen for all people involved in this movie. <laughs> Too harsh. <laughs> okay, so she like boobs at him basically, and mm-hmm. promises to like make him rich and powerful and all of that if he has sex with her and gives her a son and also gives her this fancy horn. Oh, also, did she? Did she? cut off her own son's head just for the purpose of making this offer more dramatically because yes, I when Baelor so. first says show yourself she like flings down the severed head of Grendel right which why? yeah she clearly severed herself why did she do that why did she do it's, that it's a move such a good flirt it's <laughs> <laughs> the disembodied I love my when child. people flirt with me by throwing the severed heads of their children at me I mean, it's not one that's come up in my dating life, to be honest. I'm sure that that if it ever does, obviously, (laughs) it'll be great. Yeah, she also really obviously underlines the deep and profound message of the film by saying, I know that underneath your glamour, you're as much a monster as my son, Grendel. And then there's a whole thing about where Beowulf's like, glamour. Why is that the part you're offended about, Beowulf? it's like it's like almost as if there's like blinking flashing lights in the corner of the screen that's like hint that's the point of this film yeah yeah and and i mean again beowulf misses the point like is this a joke about how dumb beowulf is that he's offended because she said glamour does he think that's too feminine like god like why is he insulted and someone's you know someone says you're very charismatic but you're actually a horrible person and he's like charismatic how dare you Okay, so also we should talk about the sword because he's got the sword, he's got fronting, and he's like, and then the sword, like, which is like positioned directly on top of his dick, Mm -hmm. the sword like melts. She makes it melt. And you texted me. I did. You texted me. You did this. You texted me and are like, is that supposed to become? And my life is now ruined, so thank you. Well, is it? Like, I couldn't tell whether this is... Because, I mean, the sword is very obviously meant to be a penis. I mean, that's been established Everything earlier in the film. It's true. I mean, <laughs> every single thing. But swords, like, we've, also, we've seen other penis swords in this film. Right, but yes. So, is the melting of the sword supposed to be, like, this is the end of Beowulf's masculinity? Like, is that... right but it's not because it's very like spurting it's so spurting yeah and so i it would sort of make more sense to me in the context of the film if this was meant to be like beowulf has been a strong masculine hero before and now in giving into this temptation his masculinity has been undermined but it it was very that's like that's not my instant reading of it Yeah, it's weird because on the one hand, that is a reading that could make sense. But on the other hand, I feel like it at the same time wants to make the fact that this Beowulf fucks part of his masculinity. Yeah. And it just seems like it can't make up its mind. No, like it's, I mean, it's an incoherent film, but I couldn't, I sort of intellectually wanted it to just be like, oh, look at the sword disappearing. I mean, like, I hate that reading too, that idea that you know a woman is going to destroy your manhood like i mean as we have said abstinence before battle but like for that to just be like here's some symbolism of beowulf just like 
spraying Grindel's mother. Like, what was the rating on this film? Oh god, I don't know. Hold on, now I, now I need to look it up. Yeah, Google that. I'm mostly curious to know like, how dumb do they think audiences are in terms of picking up on the symbolism of... PG-13. PG-13, okay. For intense sequences of violence, including disturbing images, some sexual material, and nudity. Some sexual material. <laughs> <laughs> just some. Just some, just a little bit. Just a little bit of table boob and the most phallic sword I've ever seen. <laughs> So he fucks Grendel's mother. He goes back to Harriet and says that he killed her. He's got to, he's got Grendel's head. You gotta love that Hrothgar is like, yeah, did you really kill her? And Bale's like, of course I killed that hag. And Hrothgar's like, buddy, we both know that she has no hag. Yeah. Yeah. It's so gross. I don't it's know the gro- why. It's such a gross conversation. Yeah, and again, I mean, the way that this plays out in the, in the film is just so boring compared to the poem. I mean, I guess right. is that why Grendel's mother cut the head off so that he's got proof? And Hrothgar is very sensibly like, this is Grendel's Where's head. the proof? <laughs> Where's yeah. Grendel's mother's Right. Head? And he's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. And his, and his story about the sword as well. So like in the, in the poem, he tries to kill Grendel's mother with hunting, the sword that he got from Anfar. And it, it fails, like the sword breaks. And then he they right. wrestle around and he manages to grab a sword that's made by giants and kill her with that. So that's the blade that yeah. does. And he brings back the sword hilt as proof. And on the sword hilt, there's this story about the death of the giants, like mm-hmm. the giants being killed in the flood. And so then you get this whole sense of uh, a kind of history to this antagonism between right. like the, the humans who are sort of on the side of God. If you're paralleling the, the flood that kills the giants, like God's flood yeah. that kills the giants. And the monsters, and so that sort of sets up. Also, which makes up, which makes sense with the Cain descent as well. Yeah, exactly. And so, in that reading, like the poet is, the poet talks about Christianity. The poet knows that the characters are not Christian, but that reference allows the poet to kind of align the characters with the goals of the Christian God. So, sort of redeeming the pagans. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So he's the poet's walking this this fine line between whose behavior is permitted within a Christian framework. I really like that part of the poem. And I don't see why yeah. he couldn't have come back with a sword hilt and Right. Like why why omit that? I mean, you know, it's also that like the poem has a nuanced exploration of how a Christian author is uh, in his relatively subtle way Christianizing a story that is about people who are pagans it replaces that with this heavy-handed Christianity is coming y'all narrative Christianity killed the heroes (sighs) yeah I don't I don't know what it thought it was doing with Christianity no idea and it's so blatant like it's the first line of the poem you've got Unfath at the end wearing a cross that's like larger than he is the big like cross on the church that gets burnt down. There's also the whole bit that Unferth has that slave that he abuses named Cain. Oh, I didn't notice the name of the slave. Yeah. I noticed, yeah, just a lot of like beating up a child. For no reason. Yeah, just like, oh, you're spilling the mead. <laughs> and so I don't know, I mean, again, with with the like totally confusing message of the film, if, uh-huh. I mean, it's so into this bringing of Christianity, but we have... Unferth is the character that's really associated with Christianity, and we see Unferth being a terrible person 
Right. So, like, is Christianity supposed to be bad in this movie? Well, exactly. Like, because it, it, it's the Christianity is what ends this age of heroism that Beowulf is living in. That's what we get told. And so, are we supposed to be like? There's not a single character, as far as I can tell, that we hear talk about Christianity other than Unfair. Do I? Am I remembering correctly? Uh, Unfirth is the only one who seems to actually. He's the only one who talks about Christianity in a fully positive sense. So the only one that we see kind of embracing Christianity is this one who's also beating up children and like insulting Beowulf and being very grabby about the crown and all kinds of things. Yeah. And Christianity is aligned with the end of this heroic lifestyle. Like my sense is, my feeling is that we're supposed to see Christianity as disappointingly having right. all of this terrible behavior, but. I don't and know. And it's like Christianity ruined masculinity. Yeah, because like, is that, to be, is that is the it, like, argument? Weeping martyrs. Of this movie. Now that all we have is weeping martyrs, or what is it that he says? I don't know. But yeah, yeah, he yeah, says uh, when he's old, he says it. the Christ. He says the time of heroes is dead. The Christ God has killed it, leaving humankind with nothing but weeping martyrs. Yeah, like what's? How do we read that in the context of this? Right. It's this weird, like, Christianity is, like, effeminate and therefore bad, seems to be the argument that this movie is making. But then, like, we cannot be making that argument. I think, I think this <laughs> film, watching this film made me feel really stupid. And I think it's just because I can't actually believe that, that something this shallow was created by the minds of human beings. Like, I am looking for depth where there is none. Not only created, but spent $150 million. Human beings spent $150 million to make this movie. That's so much money that I don't even know what else you could buy for that. Like, like Buckingham Palace. I mean, what could you have had instead of Beowulf? I don't know, like lifelong like purchase and support of like a fleet of 30 purebred dogs more than that <laughs> like education for children around the world free a cure for cancer like I, maybe not quite a cure like free for like a step towards it right like, free health care in the united states i did also notice that it made a profit which was very upsetting to me <laughs> the number of people that must have paid good money to watch this film it made a profit, but I feel like that's not a great profit. So box office, Good. it says, is $196.4 million. So that's only... What am I doing that math right? That's only about a quarter more than its budget? That I don't it know made? what's a normal profit, to be honest. Right. But that doesn't seem... That doesn't seem great, I don't think. But I could be wrong. It seems... I mean, it seems remarkable for a film that is the worst film ever made. Roger Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars and argued that it's a satire of the original poem. I just... No, I, it's not. No, it's not. No. Has he read the original poem? I'm, no, he hasn't. Not recently, I'm sure. I mean, now he's dead, but not recently in 2007 when he made that comment, I'm sure. I mean, the idea that this has any relationship at all to the original poem is very distressing. Like, I don't think it's satirizing. I mean, it, like, it's more sexist than the original poem. I don't think it yes, should be. It's not right that in 2007 you're making something more sexist than a poem written sometime between the 8th and the 10th century. Like, it's just fascinating. <sighs> just like the, the ability of things made in the 21st century to be significantly more misogynist than their original medieval source material is truly staggering. It really is. 
I, I had not really noticed it until, I mean, I, like I've noticed films about medieval stuff that I didn't like, but this one has, it's missed the point entirely. It's got no nuance. It's got no thought behind it. It's just a load of dick references. Every single thing in this film is a dick reference. Every single one. It's just, just like, instead of watching this film, you could just look at a picture of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be enough. Speaking of things that have nothing to do with the poem, <laughs> Hrothgar announces that Beowulf is going to be his heir and then motherfucking kills himself. I know. He jumps what? out of a fucking window. What was happening there? Why? Why? And, and when he's like, right before where he figures out that Beowulf has slept with Grendel's mother and he says, she's not my curse, not anymore, implying... She's your curse now. And then he's like, why don't you be king over my people? Why does he hate his people so much? Why is he like, I don't know. the curse is gone. Let me just reimpose it on you guys. Right. It's also just this like truly baffling, like, why would you introduce a suicide plotline into this poem? Why, why did anyone think that was needed? Especially because it does the big time skip. So there is a 50-year jump between, or more than 50 years, I think. Yeah, because you go from Beowulf leads, and then you sort of jump over this whole period where he, like, it, you know, he becomes king of his own country, not Denmark. And then he's right, rules for 50 years, years just, and then yeah. you get the dragon. And so I sort of thought when they had Hrothgar kill himself, I was like, okay, are they going to just avoid the time jump completely? And we're going to just have young Beowulf now becomes king and the whole dragon fight is happening now. But no, they still do the time jump. Like, why did Hrothgar have to kill himself? Why couldn't they just jump forward in time? Right. No, it's just such a weird decision in that, like, because, yeah, because they still do the same time jump. So what was the point of that? Why couldn't they just do a, like, 50 years later... Oh, five years after that, like, Prothgar drank himself to death, like. (laughs) Five years is pretty pretty (laughs) generous. Twelve hours later, Prothgar drank himself to death. Yeah. Literally as property just gives her. You can have my crown and you can have my wife. That's not how women work. That's not how women work. You don't bequeath women to your heir to fuck. No. No. That's not what women do. No. I, yeah, I don't Ugh. understand what Hrothgar was doing there. And, like, Hrothgar is, is, in the poem, he's, like, a good king. He's too old. Like, he yeah. can't handle Grenoble, but he's a good king. Right. He's just, like, he's not a warrior anymore. Yeah. Is essentially what the point is. Is that, like, they've got, like, essentially, like, they have to deal with all of this stuff, and they need somebody who's young and vigorous and still functional as a warrior, and that's not who Hrothgar is anymore because he's ancient. Yeah, and one of the things that we see in the terrible. Poem, is Hrothgar, yeah, he gives good advice to Beowulf. I mean, I think he's, yeah. he's, like, he's a sensible character. Like, there's mutual respect. Yeah. And Wilthiao, we see her kind of doing some politics at that point in the poem. So Beowulf right. comes back from the fights, and Hrothgar's all super excited. And Wilthiao has two young children who are too young to take over the throne. And so she's kind of worried that that Hrothgar will give the throne to Beowulf. And right. she starts doing all of this politics to try and make sure that there's a family member who acts as regent instead, and that it's not... Yeah. You know, and so in the poem, we're seeing women acting with political intent, and it turns out that she's wrong. I mean, the original audience of the poem would have known that the... I can't remember what the relationship is. Like, their nephew, Hrothgar's nephew, maybe, who 
is asked to, to act as regent, he kills the small princess and usurps the throne. Right. So like she's not made the right choice, but she's making she's making a choice that she that in her that like is a reasonable choice to make in the context, right? Yeah, and that shows her as having like a sensible understanding of what's going on at court and a sensible yeah. desire to intervene for the benefit of her children. And here she's just given away as a pawn. I mean, yeah. Like again, why would you in a film which seems to want to critique the masculinity of what this poem imagines early medieval heroism looked like? like why would you remove a scene where a woman has a like a sensible impact? Right, and that's the thing is that that's why I can't take this seriously as a critique of masculinity because if this was a critique of masculinity, I feel like you'd have uh, examples of women have a- having agency where that's not presented as a bad thing. Mm. Wealthy, I was literally just being kind of handed around from man to man. Don't even get me started on Ursula. And so the only woman who really has agency and is Grendel's mother, who is evil. Yeah, and there's this section where I thought there might be like a slightly redeeming scene at the end when the dragon's attacking and Welfiao pushes Ursula out of the way. And then Welfiao falls through the dragon bite hole in the bridge. Right. And, and Ursula grabs her. So you do see like each woman save the other, but then Wheelarp has to step in and save them both. After riding his right. horse up the external stairs of a tower, like as you do, I don't think that's a thing. But yeah, so like the one moment where the women seem to be acting independent of the men in the plot, a man leapt in and ruined it. Yeah, Beowulf is old now. He's bitching about Christianity. He's fighting some Frisians. He's got this whole thing with this like one dude who's like, "I'm gonna kill you, so I'll be in a song." And then Beowulf is like, "You can't kill me. I'm already dead." The fight with the Frisians also. They're up on a cliff. There's like hand to hand combat down below, and they just fire arrows into the crowd. What is that for tactics? Right. Like they're clearly gonna end up killing a ton of their own people. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, by this point, nothing in the film could surprise oh, me no. with disappointment. But how many seconds do you have to think about that for to realize that that's not a great move? 0.5 of a second? Right. I mean, it's, you know, that the people who are responsible for this, and this is pretty common, I feel like, like, they don't actually, like, they don't know anything about how warfare worked. And they don't bother looking up even the bare minimum, because like, God forbid anyone look up anything. But you don't need to look it up. You just think, like, what would happen if I did this? What would happen if yes. I had people fighting, like, mingled all together, and I just shoot a bunch of death from above? Is right, that but helpful? they don't care. They no. care that, like, there are arrows, and that looks cool. But then you could have had arrows firing at, like, the Frisian ships. I mean, how, how long do you have to think about it to come up with something that's better than, let me just shoot into the crowd? That shouldn't be that hard, no, but, no. you know, you'd be surprised. You would. You, I mean, I am. <laughs> he gets back home. We find out that Wealthy Ow hates his guts now, even though they're married. And that he's also fucking some woman named Ursula. He is supposed to be, let's say, generously 70. This woman looks like she is motherfucking 14. Yes. And then he whines about it. He's like, oh, I used to think that being a king was all like battles in the morning and counting treasure in the afternoon and then sleeping with beautiful women. But I don't like it as much as I thought it would. 
And she's like, not even the sleeping with beautiful women part. And I'm like, I am going to actually vomit watching this child trying to seduce this elderly man. I know. Wanting to seduce this elderly man who is a terrible person. The only reason I could think that they put that in was to make it less grotesque that he's sleeping with her at all. So they're like, oh, we need to show that this is what she wants as well. Right, that you need to like present her as having supposedly sexual agency, despite the fact that she pretty much inherently doesn't because it's a fundamentally unequal power relationship. Yeah, I mean, he says that she's a slave. So, like, even with the age stuff aside. Right, and so I, I hadn't thought that she was literally a slave. I thought she was, like, metaphorically a slave. I mean, either way, um, it's not ideal. <laughs> either way, it's not ideal, and either way, like... She, he is the king and she is best case scenario, a subject of his who, as far as we know, like doesn't have family or anything like she's not in a position where she can actually say no. And instead she's eagerly saying yes. And it's disgusting. Which doesn't actually make it better. Unferth is still alive and is approximately 5 million years old. And Christian. Yeah. And a Christian. He's got a big old cross. And he finds that fancy horn, which Beowulf had given Grendel's mother. And it was a whole thing that as long as she had the horn, then he was awesome. And now that the horns come back to him, then he's worried that she's going to fuck him up. Which she is. So he has a dream about his angry dragon son. And then there's this whole... (laughs) Biologically implausible. The The dragon... Like, she's not a dragon... He's not a dragon. Right, where did the dragon why, gene come why? from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, paternity test Beowulf. God, <laughs> I mean, you said he was dumb, <sighs> but wow. So and then there's this whole conversation between Ursula and Wilthiau, where Ursula's like, he's still into you, and Wilthiau's like, I do not give a shit. And then Ursula is like, what happened to you two? And Wealthy is like, ugh, too many secrets. Like, wow, women, they don't like it when you tell them about having sex with a demon. And they don't like it when you hide from them that you had sex with a demon. The women are the worst, am I right? Everything. Just can't please them. <laughs> Everything they do is awful. They ruin heroism. They ruin the patriarchy. How dare they? <sighs> the dragon shows up. Symbolically burns some crosses, kills some people. There's this monk who like delivers this message to Beowulf. Why is the monk being carried on a pallet that is shaped like a cross? Who knows? I think that's (laughs) Unfirth though. Is it Unfirth? Oh, I thought it was a different person. I think it's Because it we see Unfirth again later? I think Unfirth's like the only Christian Yeah, because he he survives. We see Unfirth with like a big burn on his face. Oh, that's Unfirth? I thought it was like some monk. I think it's, well, I mean, I'm not going to rewatch it to find out, but. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah. No, there. And again, like, why is this all set in a church? Like. I don't know. The huge cross falling over. Like, why is it emphasizing this so very, very much? Christianity wouldn't arrive for another couple of centuries. And also adding in this weird element with, like, Beowulf bitching about how, like, the Christian God killed heroism. It makes it seem like not only has Christianity showed up, like, it makes it seem like basically Christianity is dominant. It makes it seem like we are now fully Christianized. Yeah. So that happened really quickly, unless the time skip that I thought was, you know, 50 or so years is actually two or three hundred. And at first I was wondering if that was true, because I was like, well, Beowulf is magic or whatever, so maybe he's old, but I feel like the magic wouldn't apply to Wilthiau. 
although her skin is or on very birth. good for a she does have know, eighty year old woman. Yeah. yeah, Beowulf doesn't. He's a bit gross and he's mm-hmm. He so, looks very grizzled. Translucent and grey. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. But yeah, I also didn't like when Unfaith, like, he gets carried in on the cross and he relates right. the message and then he gets carried out, like, wailing the sins of the fathers. The sins of the, the, fathers. Sins of the fathers. The sins of the fathers. <laughs> like, oh, God. I mean, oh, God. I, oh, I don't even know what yeah. to do anymore. This is disgusting. So Beowulf and Wiglaf head out Beowulf tells him he's going to be the next king and then tries so hard, bless his heart, to tell Wiglaf that he fucked Grendel's mother and Wiglaf is just aggressively in denial. (laughs) Totally. And, like, this was one of the... I don't know. Like, this was one of the bits where I wondered if it's now trying to switch you into thinking that Beowulf's actions are positive. Because what we've seen is each king sleeps with Grendel's mother produces a monster, somebody goes to kill the monster and ends up sleeping with Grendel's mother. So like each time it's a new person sleeping with Grendel's mother that produces further evil. Because obviously women are the root of all evil. But of course. Wiglaf says, um, like, you're too old, let some young person do this. And Beowulf says that would let the nightmare start all over again. I must be the one to finish it. Right. And so he's he's specifically talking there about going to kill Grendel's mother. And so at that moment, I was like, okay, well, since we've completely abandoned the plot of Beowulf anyway, like maybe he is going to kill Grendel's mother now. And maybe that will wrap everything up tidily. Like we're told earlier in the film that it's Grendel's mother and Grendel are the last two of these demons alive. So if he would kill Grendel's mother, like if he would go in knowing what she is and being able to reject her temptations, Mm -hmm. that actually would produce good in the world. Like that, that would... Make a genuine. But he doesn't change. do that. He doesn't do that. He, he just like, Grendel's mother doesn't even appear anymore. Well, he, he like, I'm going to go the kill horn. her. Kills the dragon. And then, well, right. So he like chucks the horn at her and is like, "Hey, hey, take your horn and like take <laughs> our dragon son away." And she's like, "Yeah, buddy, it doesn't work that way." And then like disappears. Yeah, he doesn't even try to fight her. So yeah, again, he's saying he's going to do something that like Wiglaf doesn't even understand why he's saying this because he doesn't have right. the context and won't listen to it anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, this was like the one moment where I thought maybe, maybe they're going to make maybe. some sensible something, but no. So he no. fights his dragon son. A couple of like moments of especially like poor, I don't know, physics, I guess. There's the bit where like mass like arrows are being shot at him and he parries all of them away with a sword. So heroic. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the, how can a dragon still breathe fire underwater? Why not? I mean, this also undermines the heroism that's in the original poem. So in the original poem, Beowulf goes to fight the dragon and he says, you know, like I fought Grendel without weapons and I'd like to do that for the dragon as well. But it breathes fire, so I better have a shield. (laughs) So he, he goes to fight the dragon and he brings his men with him and he goes in alone and eventually Wiglaf comes to help him. But so you have the amount of external help that he's needed in each fight has increased. So you have Grendel yeah. is like hand-to-hand combat. Grendel's mother, he uses a sword. And then the dragon, he does have assistance. And he also is, is killed. But here, it's simultaneously like Beowulf all alone has killed the dragon in this like dumb way that I'm sure we're going to discuss in a minute. But also people are wheeling catapults along the cliffs there's a whole army out there also it's the first time Beowulf is wearing clothing so 
That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) If he'd been fully nude the whole time, he would have won. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The dragon would have been like, oh, wow, dad. (laughs) So impressive. But, yeah. Dad, you have a dick? I wish I had one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's why Beowulf pats him on the shoulder at the end? I thought that was meant to be some sort of, look, they've got a father-son relationship, but maybe it was just like, oh, disappointing. Sorry, bro. So also, fun fact, apparently Ray Winstone, like motion in a motion capture suit, is also playing the dragon. And I did not pick up on this, but apparently he like has Ray Winstone's eyes. Oh, I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> I think by this point, I was trying not to focus too much on the screen in case I missed it. There's, there's a whole bit with like Ursula like and Wealthy out kind of saving each other. And then Beowulf. Beowulf is fighting this dragon and he remembers before from Hrothgar that whole thing about how like he's got this one little bit in his throat where you can kill him. Oh, that and was Beowulf. the stupidest foreshadowing of anything. <laughs> oh, that was so clumsy. Beowulf suffers his own arm <laughs> for increased <laughs> I don't understand how he severed his arm without also severing his own chainmail. I don't understand. Question. The chainmail is fully intact, but the arm is not. Yeah, magic sword. I don't understand how when the dragon's got like the the arm is holding on or, or is in the dragon's mouth or whatever. No, it's holding on to the rope thing. Why doesn't Beowulf just kind of slide away from it? Right. Like, what is keeping him up if he's no longer attached to his arm? I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I, I mean, I don't think that this film has physics. Like, there were many things in this film no. I didn't understand. I, I just, is there gravity? Is there, like, what plot. laws are we operating under? I mean, plot, no. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> Yeah, and so much, so much of this swords and dropping the sword. Like, how many times did we have to see Beowulf drop his sword during this fight? We saw him drop it, like, once off the cliff, and then once, like, dropped his dagger inside the dragon. Like, each time, what is this? Each time his, like, pseudo-phallus is getting smaller. I'm not sure what reading I'm supposed to take away from this. And then finally, he just, like... Well, it's that ultimately he can only kill it, kill it bare-handed because he then, like, goes into the dragon's throat and, like, rips out its heart, which lives in its throat, with his bare hands. Oh, and, like, that so is truly masculine. the only masculine way to kill anything is with your bare hands, is, I feel like, what they're going with. But it's also that, like, it really... and Like... I, you know, I shouldn't be annoyed at departures from the book at this point, or like from the poem at this point, but I was unreasonably annoyed at the fact that he actually killed the dragon entirely himself, even though he does then, spoiler, die. Yeah, but it's he killed the dragon entirely by himself, but with just a massive backup army that does nothing. Yeah, the army had no point. Like, the army, like, kind of shot at the dragon, but that didn't really matter, because the only way to kill the dragon is to do this one fucking thing, and only Beowulf, with the strength of his man-dick arms, can do that. <laughs> and, the only, and the only thing that the army seems to really do is shoot a load of arrows at Beowulf that he has to fight away with his yes! sword. Which, I mean, I guess maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe they were like, oh my god, guys, like, a really subtle way that we can get rid of our kings. Just let, Let's just let shoot them die. Just let him. them all die. Like, the dragon's coming kill Beowulf or pretend it was an accident, deal with the dragon later. It's the only logical reasoning. Although also, I mean, as we've seen already, they don't really understand how arrows work. So no. maybe they don't know. It's a shame that Beowulf didn't survive. He could have supplied that tactical knowledge to them. Like arrows are annoying nice. when you shoot at your enemy and friend together. Right. 
And I don't understand because Beowulf cuts the dragon's wing at some point. Right, but that's not helpful, apparently. It's not helpful at all, but if we're supposed to believe that the only weak spot of the dragon is its throat hole, like how is he able to cut the wing? So why is the army so useless? Right. There, is the aim so bad that they can't get anything to go near the dragon? His his sword goes in, he like stabs the Yeah. He stabs a bunch of stuff into the dragon. He's constantly like attaching ropes to the dragon and then just dangling off it's them. It's useless, dramatic right? Purposes. Yeah, like you can like attach things to the dragon as like grappling hooks. But that the dragon just doesn't, doesn't accomplish care. anything, right? <laughs> it swings off. The dragon's like, care. yeah, did whatever. Yeah. No, so I, the logic of the dragon escapes me. Then also when the dragon dies, it turns into just a man made out of gold. Yeah, an Oscar statue, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Another the symbolism of the death of this film. movie's chances to win an Oscar. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also, when he was ripping out the dragon's heart... Was the music saying Beowulf? Oh, I don't know. Maybe? Probably. I think the music was like a return to the cheering of the people in the hall of, you know, Beowulf, Beowulf. Oh, I think the music was doing that. And I'm disgusted. I also found it weird that the dragon melted since it seemed fine in the water earlier. But I guess now that it's dying, right. it's become Right, soluble. I think it's a death thing. Beowulf, right as he's dying, it tries... Again, bless his heart to explain to Wiglaf, no, like, by the way, I definitely fucked Grendel's mother, and this is definitely my <laughs> dragon son. And Wiglaf is like, yeah, I'm not here for it. But <laughs> then, as Beowulf has his Viking feud, his, like, Viking ship uh, ship funeral, like, Another ship fire. Yeah. As that whole situation is happening, Angelina Jolie comes and, like, makes out with his corpse, and then, like, boobs over to Wiglaf, and she's, like, staring at her, and we end, like, will he too fuck her? Oh, no. Maybe this will be the sequel. Thank Christ there wasn't a sequel. God, can you imagine? I had so many problems with this last scene in terms of its relationship with the original poem. The funeral is all wrong, Um, and the only thing I can assume is that they were, like, Viking burials have ships on fire and we didn't even read the text to see if that's what happened. Because in the poem, Beowulf is buried in the ground with all of the treasure, or what we assume is all the treasure that came from the dragon. So he's, as Beowulf is dying, he says how pleased he is to have gained all this treasure for his people. And then they bury it and we're explicitly told that it was useless. So Beowulf has performed this heroic deed and we've had the idea that killing a dragon is like a particularly heroic act set up earlier in the poem. But then we see that his heroic act has not had the effect that it should. And his people... Right. Because also, I mean, there's the dynamic that like the dragon has been hoarding wealth. Mm-hmm. And that then it can be distributed and like be like given to his people. And now that's still not going to happen because it's being buried with him. Yeah. And his people, there's also, there's some criticism in the poem because... Beowulf goes to fight the dragon. He's got a bunch of people with him and they all like run away except for Wiglaf. And so when they come, when Wiglaf comes back, he's berating all of these other soldiers right. and saying, you know, everybody is going to hear about this and how cowardly you were. And now our enemies are going to come and kill us. So you also get the sense that in dying and not managing to have men who are loyal to him, Beowulf's people are, you know, they're like they're, Time is up. 
Right. So the, the end, like you get this sort of eulogy for Beowulf, but it's very ambiguous, I think. Because he is ultimately in some ways a failure. Yeah, and it's got a lot of, like it, it says, you know, he was most eager for glory or something like this. I mean, it, that's something that you could read in two ways. You could either have that as being awesome, he's going to have loads of battles and that's like a cool heroic thing. Or you could read that as, you know, actually... At this point in the poem, he's the king, he's really old, and he's going to fight the dragon alone, which is a little bit stupid. Yeah. Like, is his eagerness for glory actually something to be criticized, given that we know that his people are going to be destroyed as a result of his death and the fact that his retainers didn't help him? So that's all completely erased. We laugh's assessment of Beowulf at the end. He was the principal warriors. His name will live forever. His song shall be sung forever. No nuance there. The only thing that we're getting in that assessment is his song will be sung forever, brackets, which is not the true story of Beowulf's deeds. Right. But, but like zero sense that any of his people might pause for one second about what Beowulf did, what his legacy is, what's coming next, what's going to happen. Nothing. And it's also this very bizarre change in that I think especially in terms of like Beowulf as king and his choice to go fight the dragon – that already, I would argue, is uh, to some extent potentially at least presenting Beowulf as being a flawed character. Mm. And so there's this weird choice in this movie that it seems to be saying, like, look how edgy we are. We're portraying Beowulf as flawed, where he's already flawed. You're just making him an asshole. And especially, I think, because the system was that your retainers are expected to be loyal to you and to fight for you and to die in battle for you if necessary so the lord like gives gold and things to the retainers as we see hrothgar do right at the beginning of the of the film but in return for your lord doing that for you you fight for them and so the fact that his retainers don't show up to battle the dragon for him also suggests i think that he's done something wrong in his time or that he's not letting his retainers do their job which is not allowing them to in fact have their share of the glory i mean they're supposed to be able to do these things yeah no so like the the poem i think I, i think he's meant to be seen as a heroic character i don't think it's the same as this this film which just sort of trashes him but i think we're supposed to think about the kind of political effects of his actions and yeah i mean we move from young beowulf to old beowulf we move from beowulf as a warrior to beowulf as a king and i think that Mm -hmm. the poem does that very deliberately we are supposed to think about what's the difference between fighting a monster when you have these different roles to play in terms of your people and when we see Beowulf, you know, the original in the in the poem, we're in two locations. So he goes, he travels mm-hmm. off to Denmark to fight Grendel, and then he's at home being a king. He doesn't become king in Denmark. Right, which right. is also a kind of weird, like, oversimplification of the story. Yeah, so we have this first, yeah, I mean, just everything about the situation is different when he's young yeah. and traveling to seek fame versus when he's ruling his people and supposed to be keeping them safe yeah and obviously in the poem there's also no implication that the dragon is a biological relation of beowulf or that grendel is a biological relation of hrothgar or of anyone i mean we don't know anything about the dragon right (laughs) because that's the thing too also relatedly like hrothgar is not presented as being like cowardly or a failure because he can't fight grendel it's just that like okay that's not a role that he's prepared to play at this point he needs somebody else to fill in and do that yeah whereas this kind of strangely undermines that 
Like we see, you know, the old King Hrothgar in the first half of the poem, and we see old King Beowulf in the second half of the poem, and Hrothgar asks for somebody to come and help him deal with this threat. Right. Beowulf comes and deals with the threat. Hrothgar has been a, a successful king in that yeah. sense, right? Like it takes a few years, but Grendel is killed. Grendel's mother is mm-hmm. killed. Hera can like go back to doing whatever it was doing. The poem sets us up with this idea of a good king doesn't have to do everything himself. Right, you can you can delegate. Yeah, and then Beowulf at the end fails to delegate. Like, are we supposed to see that as mm-hmm. a criticism of Beowulf, of not right. seeing that he this is a threat that he can't manage and he needs to ask for help? Right, and I and as I and I think that it is, and as I said, so it it seems like just such a frustrating. It's just a frustrating departure to me that they have him ultimately being successful in killing the dragon and doing all of that basically all on his own, even though he does then die. No, I mean the entire the entire film just I almost don't believe that they read the poem at all. Maybe they read the Spark Notes version. I'm guessing they read it, but they read it in high school and have not revisited it. I mean, I think in high school you should be starting to see some nuance. Well, yeah, but you might forget the nuance 40 years later. Ah, this much? Like when you're spending, I don't know how long, making a film of a text, you can't, I mean, it's, it's a 3,000 line poem. It's not long. Right. And also, by the way, the Wikipedia article has all of this like bizarre shit about all of the actors being like, yeah, I didn't read the book. Why is that something to be proud of? Why would you turn right? up to your like, job and be like, I didn't do the basic requirements of my work? Right. So Ray Winston apparently said, I had the beauty of not reading the book, which I understand portrays Beowulf as a very one-dimensional kind of character, a hero and a warrior, and that was it. I didn't have any of that baggage to bring with me. I'm sorry. Who told him that? Someone else who hasn't read the book? Also, Anthony Hopkins was asked if he'd read Beowulf. He replied, no, I was hopeless at school. I couldn't read anything. I mean, I could read, but I was so inattentive. I tried to get around to reading Beowulf just before I did this movie, and it was a good modern translation, but I couldn't hack it, and I tend to, like, just go with the script if it's a good script. Which this wasn't. No. Yeah, I mean, by the time this film was made... I think the Seamus Heaney translation, or the Seamus Heaney translation was certainly out well before the film came out. I don't know when they started yes, making it. so. Like, I find that to be an extremely readable translation. It's not, I mean, yeah. it's not the only translation out there, even if they started this before Heaney's was published. And, this, and that came out in 2000, by the way, I just checked. And my copy has New York Times bestseller stamped on the front. So I don't think it was... People had heard of it. Was, people had heard of it. People had read it. Like, it's not a text that's extremely difficult. If they, you know, if there was nothing except for the original Old English, then fine, I'd accept all these people right. saying, I didn't read it, I couldn't read it. But, like, you couldn't read a New York Times bestseller book that is really quite right. short in order to prepare for your job that you're going to be doing. Right. I mean, I'll be honest, like, I've read Beowulf before. I'll be honest, I skimmed Beowulf in an hour for this podcast. I didn't. I intended to, but the film upset me so much that I had to go and drink wine instead. I, 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 it. But I love that translation of Beowulf. I remember reading that yeah. for the first time and being just, I, I remember. Is this, what you, is this what you use for teaching? It's what I usually use. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's a terrific translation. I think it's not oh, the yeah. most accurate translation out there, but as a text to read in its own right, I think it's a masterpiece. I love it. But yeah, the first time I read it, I was so excited. I was thrilled to be reading Beowulf. And I I was so like, captivated by the battle, by everything that was happening. And then, I mean, the film is awful. But to have everybody who's involved in the film say, 
I didn't read the text because I thought it was a one-dimensional piece of crap. Like, because I heard a rumor. Like, why are you even making this movie then? Yeah. No, the only reason that they're making this film is because it's how they can get away with having a cast that consists of only men and Ursa table boobs. Because that's what they think the Middle Ages is. It's like men being manly and women being boobs. And and to be fair, also Robin Wright being very put upon. Yes, true. (laughs) But I don't think you need Beowulf to make the film that they made. You could have just called it like vaguely early Middle Ages masculinity tropes the monster mash yeah the exact same film it's been just as good i wouldn't have to be angry about the absolute liberty like the thing that worries me is what if people see that film and they think that that's what medieval literature looks like i'm really excited for all the generations of people who watch this movie and on their like lit sat put down like uh the dragon's beowulf son (laughs) yeah (laughs) Awful. I haven't had that yet from any of my students, and I hope I never will. I do show them a clip from this film, and then I have to apologize every time. Like, I make them watch two minutes of it, and then I literally have a handout that's like, I'm so sorry I made you watch that. But like, the reason that I want them to look at it is that I think, so I make them look at a couple of different adaptations, but I think that seeing what the people who are adapting Beowulf have struggled with points us at something that the text itself is doing that we as modern readers might not be used to. Yeah. A lot of the adaptations really struggle with the fact that the dragon kind of comes out of nowhere. The first section of the poem, you know, Grendel, Grendel's mother, that all makes sense. They're and the dragon, to like, another, right? what's and up then it's just dragon. like dragon ex machina. Yeah. And so the thing that the adaptation seems to point out is that since every adaptation tries to link the dragon in some linear plot fashion mm-hmm. to the earlier section of the poem, that's what we as modern readers kind of want. And that's not what the poem is providing. And so I think it's, it's yeah. like it helps you to look back and see, okay, this is not the way that I should be reading the text. I need to read the text in another fashion. And I think that that's really a comparative fashion. So all the way yeah. through the poem, you have these narratives about other heroes and you have flashbacks to previous political events and you have little hints of what's going to happen in the future and you have these scenes that you seem to be intended to read comparatively Sigmund of Fatala killing their dragon how does that compare with Beowulf killing his dragon the entire like if you end up reading the entire poem comparatively all of these political scenes everything that's happening it makes the poem richer and more complex because you're having to do some thinking. And particularly in this adaptation, I find that they don't want you to do any thinking. Every time I think about this film, it falls apart because they just want you to look at the screen and have stuff happen. And the stuff has to happen in a completely linear, plot-driven way, but with no actual logic behind it. This has misunderstood the text in every conceivable fashion. I'm so, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. (laughs) But also angry. (laughs) Burning with rage. Speaking of burning with rage, the (laughs) next segment, Vera et Falso, is where I usually talk about what this movie got right and wrong. We've certainly already touched on a number of these things, but I want to highlight a couple of uh, things or or tease out a couple of things. I assume all of them are things that got wrong. Yeah, I honestly, I cannot think of a single thing this movie got right. Like, I cannot think of a single thing that this movie did well. So we'll just, we'll just say we're just going to skip that. Okay, so this is falso at falso. Yes. First of all, there is the rise of Christianity issue. 
Mm-hmm. And I just want to provide the very specific dates on this, which is, so the movie takes place in 507 or starts in 507. And uh, so if we, you know, are generous, then it kind of ends in some time in the late 6th century. There is no reason to think that the Danes had any familiarity with Christianity at all until at least the 8th century. So a couple hundred years after this. And then also it makes it seem like Christianity has like one and it's all over by the end of the movie. And the basically dominance of Christianity in Denmark generously you could place in like the late 10th century, maybe probably more like the early 11th in terms of when you can really say like this is a Christian country. Yeah, no, the Christianity was baffling. But also, it just, it really destroys all of the kind of interesting nuance of uh, this poem that is about non-Christians by a Christian author mm. by just being like, no, it's, it's, it's Christian now. Christianity is happening, y'all. And also it's ruining everything, I guess. I, in, in the final scene where Beowulf is on the ship and they set fire to the ship and the mast falls, like the mast mm. is set up as a cross, and so that's right. when Grendel's mother appears. And so I also wondered, is that supposed to be some sort of, you know, like, look, the kind of Christian cross has gone from the ship, which I mean, like, is a deeply unchristian thing to be doing, a Viking right. treasure boat funeral. Yes. And so that's the thing, too, is that, like, if everybody's Christian now, like, they're not going to, like, you, like, like, Catholics still are not on board with cremation, because, like, then how will you be resurrected? <laughs> Or, like, vast amounts of grave goods. That's also not really a deeply Christian phenomenon. Yeah, and, and so that's the thing, too, also, is that, this, is that this, there's this other thing, is that this particular kind of burial, the, like, you, like, pile a bunch of goods and the dead dude into a ship, and you send the ship out into the ocean, and then you set it on fire. This is, I feel like, maybe the most common portrayal of a funeral in medieval movies. Despite the fact that we don't like it, certainly it's not what actually happens at the end of this poem, right? No, I mean, so he's got he's got the no. I mean, so he's got the grave goods. He does have a pyre, doesn't he? He's just it's just not on the ship. Yeah, so he gets buried. But there is a funeral pyre. He's buried and there's a funeral pyre. You have at the yeah. beginning. It also opens with a funeral, and the the in the beginning there's somebody who gets put into a ship with treasure, but they just send the ship out into the sea. Like we're not told that it was burned. Right. Or the other thing that they did in terms of like the act, like actual Scandinavians is that they would often bury you like with a ship and grave goods. Yeah, like Sutton Hoo. So, and this, and like this, like the, the Viking like ship fire situation, the only place I believe in which it is definitively attested is an Ahmed ibn Fadlan's account of people who are generally assumed to be Vikings. Uh, it's like the Volga Rus. Mm-hmm. in Eastern Europe, even if we assume like, okay, he's supposed to be an eyewitness, he saw this burial, fine. The fact that this particular group of basically Vikings who are hanging out in Eastern Europe in the 10th century, the fact that they're doing this thing does not mean that all Scandinavian people did this everywhere at all times. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like because it's such a trope in films about the Middle Ages, I almost wouldn't mind if it weren't for all the Christianity that this this film right, is just which makes it stuffing so much into the film. I mean, it's a cool image, 
ships are cool, fire is cool, treasure is cool, go for it, but not at the same time as claiming that everybody has become Christian and that's therefore ruined the world. Right, like the two things are inherently incompatible. So much of this film seems to think only about visuals and about making really brief points that don't hold up across the film as a whole, only in the specific minute in which the point is made. Minute might be generous. Right, I and mean, especially because they're very confused, it seems like, about which points they're actually trying to make. Yeah, like, I, I genuinely don't understand what Christianity is doing in this in this film. Like, it's very unclear. Yeah, like, is it meant to be good that it has got rid of this form of heroism? In which case, why is the only character that we see espousing Christianity on Firth? Why is Christianity first raised right. while they're pissing inside the dining hall i mean because that's a thing i mean because it all is related because okay so they're making these claims that christianity destroys this culture of heroism we can't tell if that's supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing because the movie can't seem to decide on any level whether that culture of heroism in, is it itself a good thing or a bad thing yeah and we i mean we learn almost nothing about christianity itself all we get is that it's oh, coming no. and then we see the church is being destroyed and we see Unfaf talking about it. And, and Unfaf is a terrible person. Christianity, like Grendel, makes no sound when it comes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it did. I mean, we skipped across a lot of time in that middle section. Maybe Christianity was shouting all the way. Oh, Yeah nonsensical i hated it also just a couple of smaller things first of all just the architecture is ridiculous all of the castles look like like our norman like so like late 11th 12th century that stone church like that that shit's definitely 12th century yeah i'm pretty sure there were some like houses that looked like they were 15th century in this village so like there were some very elaborate houses yeah so the houses look like they're 15th century And then the other thing is that, so there's this weird bit where when Beowulf is old, everybody like every year listens to the, like watches the performance of the song, which is, I guess, like the first two thirds of the poem Beowulf. And there's a performance accompanying it, which includes uh, Grendel being played by an average sized person in a costume and then a person with dwarfism playing Beowulf to highlight the size disparity. I do just want to note is that this custom of essentially using dwarves decoratively and in entertainment at court is a pretty gross custom. And also it is a custom that in Europe is really popularized at courts in the early modern period. So we are a millennium or so out of date Casual. on court tours. <laughs> Just a millennium. <laughs> there was also, I noticed they, they mention Vinland. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> where they talk about how far Beowulf's legend has spread. And Vinland refers to somewhere in North America, but was certainly not known before what, circa 1000? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, 10th, 11th century. Yeah, so, I mean, if you want to say, that one irritated me because it was such a throwaway comment. Like, all they're trying to say is, well, Beowulf, you are very famous in very many places. I'm guessing they thought Vinland because it's a medieval term, but, like, why bother setting your film in a specific year? Right. If you're going to just grab it 
anything vaguely in the past. I mean, at this point, why not just have them all wearing Jane Austen bonnets and World War II machine guns? I mean, (laughs) and this is a weird thing that a ton of medieval things do is that they go out of their way to specify this very precise date. But then the movie is just like actually anything that happened between the years like 100 and 1800 are completely fair game for this movie. Yeah. And so it's like, why did you bother coming up with a date? Especially like for something like this, which is clearly in like a ton of other things similarly, like that are clearly fantastical. Like like the movie Dragonheart, which is like this dumb movie about a dra- about like a talking dragon who is like Dennis Quaid's friend, <laughs> is like I am set in precisely the year nine eighty two, in January, <laughs> on a Friday morning, <laughs> and it's like, but but you have this whole thing, but like we know who was the king of England in nine eighty two, and it's not like this dude. I mean, I think the problem is that most people don't know who was the King of England in 982 and they don't care either. But this is something that I find sometimes when teaching medieval texts, that Mm -hmm. it's very easy for students also to just assimilate everything they know about pre-1500 and just put it all into the same basket. And so I spend a lot of time trying to tell people to be specific when they're writing about a text. If your text was written in the mid-14th century, you need to contextualize it with information about the mid-14th century. You can't just take something you read about the 7th century and something that you read about the 16th century and just assume that it all still matches. Like People change, societies change, opinions change, just Mm -hmm. like they do now. And I think films like this sort of compound the problem by, I mean, not bothering to to think. Like There's so many of the things in the film that were profoundly anachronistic that added nothing. Why was Hera a massive stone castle norman castle yeah yeah like would it have really would it have changed the film at all if it were no. not like that and so it, it just it's lazy but i feel like it is a problem that people have about the middle ages that they don't have as much for modernity that there's this false sense that back in the past everything is all the same and undifferentiated and time didn't move in the same mm-hmm. way and nothing changed for the entire approximately 1000 year period <laughs> that is known as the middle ages yeah and you know and people like if you said today like oh i bet you're exactly like that the way you live is exactly like the way people lived in 1520 they'd be like get the fuck out of here mm-hmm. but they have no qualms about assuming that life in the year 1300 was the same as life in the year 800 well and also there's the sense that everything was just kind of the same. Like it doesn't matter when we're thinking about. Yeah. And then there's also the sense that people were so profoundly different that they can't be comprehended. And so I'm always confused yeah. by like, when did you think people became recognizable humans? You know, what the invention of the microscope, everybody just developed humanity. Well, or it's the Renaissance. Jacob Burkhart and his uh, basically says like that, like in the Renaissance, people like developed personalities. And it's like, what do you think happened? Do you think everyone just woke up in the year 1500? And it was like, wow, I have a personality all of a sudden. <laughs> I need to awesome. work on myself. <laughs> and especially like there's old English poems, which I can't remember the line exactly, but there's some old English poem, which says something like, you know, there are as many minds on earth as there are men. People, mm-hmm. people have different opinions, different people know different things and feel different things and believe different things. There are, maybe the way that, that individuality was expressed was different, but it's very clear right. that they understand that everybody else experiences the world differently. 
And mm-hmm. I mean, things like, I remember talking to somebody once, there's been some newspaper article about like a baby monkey or something that had died in the zoo and the mother had like mm-hmm. cradled the baby. And so my friend commented on how sad this was, like, oh, poor, like, mother monkey. And, you know, 10 minutes later, I was saying something about medieval children dying. And my friend right. was like, oh, but yeah, I mean, they died all the time, so they didn't care, right? Like, I'm, like, I'm sorry. You think that the, the right. monkey is grieving its child, but you don't think that your own great, 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 great grandparents would have been sad when their child died? Like, the response right. might be different because the response is to grief culturally determined, but... Why would you assume that they don't have that feeling? And so it's it's the thing which, yeah. which I find confusing with the Middle Ages or with the, the impression that people have of the Middle Ages is that it's these two totally conflicting ideas. One, that people mm-hmm. were not human and didn't have human emotion. And one, that like everything was kind of the same all the way up until modernity. Right. I mean, I guess maybe they stem from one another. One, that you know people don't have interiority and therefore nothing can change around them because they're not stamping their personalities on the world. Right, that people are just this kind of undifferentiated mass suffering through waiting for the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how most people see the Middle Ages. But beyond the Renaissance as well. I mean, I've definitely seen people refer to sort of 17th century stuff as evidence for things happening in the Middle Ages. So, yeah, I just I don't know where it's coming from. At this point, we can move to the Historia ad Veritas section, where we talk about a real historical event or phenomenon. And I would like you to just chat a bit about Beowulf. I feel like I've done quite a lot of my Beowulf chat <laughs> in already <laughs> with our other conversations. So is there anything else that you think listeners should know about Beowulf? It's really good. <laughs> like, it's actually it really good. good. It's a really fantastic book. There's a reason that we assign Beowulf. Yeah, and that we still enjoy it, and that it was... On yeah. the New York Times bestseller list a thousand years after it was written. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that it's it's nuanced, it's complicated, it's thinking about history in really complex ways. And it contains huge amounts of myth and political history. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in there. It's not just Beowulf fighting monsters. It's Beowulf fighting monsters as part of a much larger pattern of feuding and alliances and... I mean, there's so much going on. I mean, and the monsters themselves are interesting and have symbolic meaning. I mean, so for for listeners who are not aware, J.R.R. Tolkien was legit a medievalist. And one of his uh, very well-known articles was about Beowulf and was called The Monster and the Critics. (laughs) And was basically, it's been a long time since I actually have read it, but was basically saying that people who dismissed the monster fights as not interesting or important were ignoring the kind of symbolic meaning that they have and that it's actually like a very rich element to the story. And it's not just like, it's not just like raw, raw, kill the monsters, which is what (laughs) this movie seems to think it is. The different fights and the different ways that the monsters are portrayed and the different engagements that he has with them and that the monsters have with humanity are making certain kinds of points. Yeah, no, like that we should engage with this text as a literary text and not just a text that we can, you know, mine for snippets of historical information. So some of the events in the poem seem to be real events. So Hrothgar seems to be a real king, which Mm -hmm. is, I assume, why they've chosen 507. I'm guessing that that's a date that we think that Hrothgar was really alive. I can't remember exactly. Seems about right. But yeah, so there's, there's historical information embedded in this poem, but it's being put together in a certain way in order to convey 
larger information than just the chronological facts or the basic names of people involved. And so yeah. this, yeah, like the, the, the text as a whole is a, a much more complicated thing that certainly than the film makes out, but also than a lot of early critics made out. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that even from the perspective of historians, increasingly also history is not just like, let me find out the names and light and like life histories of some kings, mm -hmm. which is the kind of information that people use to try to mine from Beowulf. It's also where, you know, we've moved into a moment where social history and cultural history are much more valued as part of the discipline. And I think this is actually an ex like I, I teach this in history classes mm -hmm. because I think it's a really important work for thinking about cultural history mm. in the period when it was written. Yeah, one of the other things which is sort of interesting about the, the text, so it survives in only one manuscript. So we just have yeah. a single copy of Beowulf. And in that manuscript, there's something, there's some kind of a problem with the manuscript at the point where you have the, the time skip. Hmm. There's two scribes. The first scribe in the final page is trying to squash more lines onto the page than should fit. Yeah. And so the reason, one of the plausible reasons for someone to do that is if the second half has already been copied. And so yeah. that could just be, you know, something has gone slightly wrong with the copying. They split the poem in, you know, they miscounted. But one thing that some people have suggested is that the text is trying to yoke together two originally separate texts, one mm. with young Beowulf and one with old Beowulf. I don't think that that's widely accepted, but I do think it's, it's an interesting question, I think, because it then yeah. if this is somebody combining two texts about Beowulf that were originally separate, mm -hmm. then what are they trying to say by making that comparison? And because yeah. I think, as I said before, that they're the mode of reading that Beowulf expects from its audience is this comparison of parallel scenes, parallel events across history. Yeah. Either that's a reader, I think, making kind of a sophisticated adaptation to the text by giving us a new parallel to work with, or it's just sort of emphasizing the perhaps the difference between how the medieval poem seems to be wanting to be read versus what we as modern readers expect. Maybe the, yeah. maybe the way that some scholars read it as two entirely separate poems is also pointing to this problem of we want yeah. a linear narrative. We don't want that kind of unexpected time jump, place jump. Right. Well, but also that expectation and that desire for a linear narrative is arguably a desire that that has more to do with the structure of the modern novel than it does to than it does with medieval texts. Yeah. If you look at the way that medieval people would have read the Bible, there are right. so many layers to the way that medieval people, educated medieval people would have been expected to read and digest that text and to think about, you know, analogies and like what's the literal meaning, what's the the kind of underlying meaning. And that you're supposed to make so many connections across the text. I mean, you know, the that like the whole the way of reading what medieval Christians would have called the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and also modern Christians would call the Old Testament, is very much about making these connections then to the New Testament, which is very much. I mean, and it's uh, it's kind of drawing these connections, and then when you have the and and also kind of drawing these moral lessons, which are not necessarily explicitly in the text, and then you have things like in the Bible Moralise, which is uh, kind of making explicit like this is what it says and this is the other way to read that and these are the other things you should be thinking about as you read the text not that they didn't have narratives but that narrative doesn't 
uh, but that narrative functions differently than it typically does in a modern novel. And that people are trained to look behind the the main narrative so explicitly. Right. To look behind it and also that to, to look non-linearly mm-hmm. at it, which I think is also really interesting in terms of medieval visual narratives, especially when you have the kind of biblical stories, is that there's an order in which you're supposed to read these visual narratives that tell the story in this linear fashion, but you're also, also supposed to be making these connections with the thing that's underneath that's underneath the image that you're looking mm-hmm. at or to the or across from it and so that you're supposed to be doing these kind of non-linear connections at the same time as you're reading the linear narrative yeah no so i think that the the medieval style of reading in all kinds of texts all kinds of ways visually in terms of narrative etc etc I think all of that encourages audiences to approach Beowulf in a totally different way than we're used to now yeah and for for poets to write with the expectation of a totally different type of engagement and I I think it's a real shame that this film which I mean I'm sure that more people will have seen this film at least in 2007 2008 than will have read the original text right. and that the film is full of people saying there's no value to the original this film has nothing to do with that boring crap that you had to read in school this isn't your daddy's beowulf (laughs) 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 like that is the vibe of this film yeah that was the vibe of the film yeah i mean the film made me so sad why would you publicly say you know i didn't read this text and the bits i read i didn't understand there's something really bizarre and upsetting about how deeply anti-intellectual this adaptation of a medieval literary text is. Yeah, and how angry it seems to be about the original text. Like, they don't like the text, they don't care about the text, they didn't read the text, the text was flawed, and they have fixed it by making it, like, all about dicks. That uh, is, I think, a good segue into the Fabula Nostra section, where we talk about what uh, film or whatever we might create inspired by this one which can mean uh, in this particular case what movie do we wish had been made instead of this movie okay (laughs) (laughs) i think you could do a really really good beowulf film yeah i'm thinking of like pan's labyrinth where you have the Mm. sort of fantasy elements but then you also have the very brutal historical portions of the film and so yeah. something like that, where you have, I mean, like the fight with a dragon is like, it's, that's a sort of fantasy showpiece, yeah. but the way that it's set within historical reality, I think is something that this film just doesn't convey at all. I mean, when Beowulf dies and they're talking about the fact that the retainers didn't help and that other people are going to hear about their cowardice and come and wipe his tribe off the face of the earth and, you know, the women are worried about being taken away from you know, their husbands killed their children killed i mean that's that's real like that's not talking about a fantasy yeah. consequence that's a real consequence for a fantasy narrative and so i think something mm-hmm. which leaned into the real practical consequences of the actions even if the yeah. fights themselves are mm. not realistic i think mm-hmm. you could make a much more interesting beowulf doing that yeah absolutely the thing I'd be curious to see is uh, I'm interested in the concept of uh, exploring essentially what the narrative of Beowulf has to say about monsters and the monsters as, pe- as kind of people or creatures who are just not included in society for various reasons. 
and inspired by that and then thinking back to the novel Grendel, I actually think it would be really interesting to try and create something that was from the perspective of Grendel's mother. Mm. And I think there could be ways to do that where she can certainly be a complicated and flawed character, but where she's not like evil temptress who's out to ruin men's lives by fucking them. Oh, she doesn't need to be a temptress at all. No, I would not want her to have sex with the random humans and I mean she obviously has a child but I would not want her sex life to be a particularly part of this movie I don't think that's in any way the most interesting thing about her no is like it's not her sex life (laughs) I think the I mean I think one of the interesting things about her is her participation in this vengeance culture Mm. and the question of to what extent that's something that's acceptable or not I think that's actually one of the kind of more interesting themes to draw out is uh is that is her presumably that also you know maternal feeling and love for her son and the poem acknowledges her loss i mean in the in the original text you have you know the loss that grendel's mother experiences you have a lot of the women so i mean in times of this like is beowulf the monster after all you have i think there's a sense in the poem that their men are fighting against monsters like that's what they are afraid of and trying to combat and the women when you see women in the poem you quite often see them worrying about the aggression of the men and the battles that the men are getting involved with and so Grendel's mother actually fits into a pattern that's much wider in the poem Grendel's mother being kind of forced to grieve for her child because her child has gone to do something aggressive that's the pattern that's repeated elsewhere in the poem among the humans right and that's an experience that many that many human mothers have Mm. and something that yeah that makes her that makes her relatable and I mean and then it's also interesting because in then kind of taking on that and kind of then also performing this act of aggression she is behaving in a way that is not considered to be what is typically the norm for women Mm. I think you also get a sense of her being forced into action So you see kind of reluctance, you see love, you see desire for revenge. The poem manages to make her quite complicated, I think, even though she's not in it for very long. Yeah, and and I think you could make a film that actually teases that out in interesting ways, Mm -hmm. like that, that focuses on her. Which, which this doesn't do. I mean, I think if this actually wanted to like challenge heroism and uh, and hero narratives and make that more complicated, I think the way to do that would be to actually focus on the monsters mm-hmm. instead of just still on like on Beowulf, who's like naked heroing all over the place. Yeah, Beowulf doesn't need to be naked even once in our adaptation. That, that's the other thing. Yes, is that I is that I will never I will not make any adaptation that has Beowulf being it gratuitously naked and I will not have a single scene where I have to wonder does that represent ejaculation like I don't want that to be a thought in my audience's mind that's like the one goal I think it's yeah. a, it's, like a, it's a goal I think we've we, we've hinted at this <laughs> but that should lead into the uh the last of the of the proper sections the rating where we rate this movie on a scale from one to five I <laughs> think I think I'm going to do it. So it is the policy of this podcast that there can be one standing zero rating. Mm-hmm. And if you give the zero rating, your previous zero rating retroactively becomes a rating of one. And I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to give this movie zero out of five, which does sadly mean that Kingdom of Heaven will now stand as a one out of five in the official record. But I, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm also going to give this a zero out of five, which obviously has fewer consequences for me since this is the first time I've been on the podcast. 
this was the worst thing I've ever seen, ever. Like, I once saw a dog run onto the motorway and get hit by a car, and like, <laughs> this is still <laughs> this is still the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this, this was so bad. <laughs> I'm certainly not going to say that I have not before watched a lot of movies and been really angry about them because, you know, that's like 80% of the point of this podcast at this point. <laughs> but wow, I was angry watching this movie. I was resentful of the fact that I was watching it. I was I was really disappointed in all of society. I, yeah. I hoped that people would have moved forwards in terms of considering women as real thinking beings you watch this movie and you're like oh of course that's you know that explains that uh you know in this country we you know had 50 of the population voted for trump yeah i mean <laughs> i didn't think that there were many things that would make me think that as a woman i might have been better off in like <laughs> the eighth century like i really wanted to think that women have it better now and i think like broadly speaking we do but that film, <laughs> that film made me question it. Yeah, it's like, do women technically have more rights in 2020 than they did in the year, let's just say, 800? Yes. Do men as have more respect for women in 2020 than they did in 800? Eh, I don't know. And did anybody in 800 ever imply that a naked woman should have high heel feet? No. No. High heel feet. Like, that's just somebody who's never even considered the fact that women have human bodies. And that they might use them for things, like walking. No. (laughs) (laughs) It really does just feel like in this movie, the only purpose of women is sex objects. I mean, I think it is very telling that that most of the female characters sleep with Beowulf. The other one doesn't sleep with Beowulf, but it's also a sex object. Yeah. Women are only in this movie for the purpose of having sex with men. Yeah, that's true. And thereby damaging them. And the songs that the the warriors sing. Somebody had to sit down and write those like crude right? drinking songs. Like can you imagine that being your job is to like sit down and like write the rhyming rape song? I mean, no, but clearly somebody got really into it because they go on for quite a while. Are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet? Me? Yes. No. <laughs> I <didn't> okay. Think. <laughs> if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and please rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. I will read new five-star reviews in future episodes. It's been a little while since I've had one, so please go ahead and write a review. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd also love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. She's not my curse. Not anymore. <laughs>